Greetings, constant listeners. It's your boy, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman. Now, you're probably wondering, Mike, what's up? Why aren't we on the mile? Well, look, we're bumping things back a bit. So expect to hear our full dissection of Frank Darabont's The Green Mile next week. But here's the good news. What you're about to hear is our four-part rewatch of Mick Garris's The Stand, which we recorded way, way back in April and May. You know, when the pandemic just started and we had no clue what was in store for us. Here's the thing, though. While we shared the first part with you, the three other chapters were exclusive to the Barons, our Patreon page. Now, in anticipation of CBS All Access's new miniseries, The Stand, and really because this is the season of giving, we've decided to unlock all four just for you. My Life for You? Yes, our four-part miniseries, Just for You. Consider it an extra-long sweet treat that will keep you entertained for a few long days and maybe even a few pleasant nights. Happy holidays. And please, for the love of God, wear a mask. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. Before we get started today, I just want to extend uh, a deep, deep thanks, a lot of gratitude for everyone who has contributed to our new, bright, shiny new Patreon. Uh, account, which we just started. Uh, We have been doing this podcast for more than three years, and we kind of just hit a point where we said, you know what? We could use a little help uh, to help make this thing even better than it already is. So anybody who's contributed has said that, you know, because obviously it's a really tough time. If it's a tough time for you now, we totally get it. And so just the fact that you guys care enough about us, we appreciate it. And anybody who's left a comment, a supportive comment, anything like that, it's been really, really nice uh, to see and to see uh, just how devoted you guys are to our Lord and Savior, Stephen King. (laughs) Um, Was that blasphemous? No, not blasphemous. Uh, No. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Today, uh, well, well, I guess before we get started, I'll just say, uh, if you want more information on our Patreon, uh, ways that you can support us, what you can get for supporting us, um, please go to any of our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we've got info on it. And if you go to the Patreon page, which I believe is patreon.com slash the Barons, you'll have a video of me breaking down what to expect. And I guess just to like lay it out here as well for anyone who doesn't know, uh, we're going to be doing instead of four free episodes every month, we're going to be doing two free episodes every month and two exclusive full length episodes uh, that are going to be available only to our Patreon backers as well as mini-sodes and some other fun stuff so all of our book episodes will remain free that's something that we're committed to doing at this time uh because you know that's the backbone of the pod and all of our old book episodes will also remain free but some of our past episodes are now behind the patreon paywall including our souls midnight episodes our lovestrosities episodes firestarter a lot of other fun things and also we recorded a brand new souls midnight episode that's a pod uh sort of a vertical of the podcast wherein uh we talk about 
kind of a grander idea in horror, and we share sort of our personal feelings about it, our personal recollections, what scares us. And we recorded an exclusive Souls Midnight episode on urban legends and myths um, that is available only to our Patreon backers. And I think it turned out pretty good. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot Very of fun. Very fun episode. Yeah. And uh, Souls Midnight. Yeah, so it was a great episode. And uh, yeah, so anyways, you can get all the information there. We appreciate it. And um, my name is Rockin' Randall Colburn. And who is joining me? Let's start with you, Mike. Well, this is uh, Michael Max Wright Rothman, and uh, having <laughs> a lot of fun here in uh, the Boulder Free Zone. And, you know, I got to say, for a time where we seem to be coughing a lot and also short of breath, being up here in the high altitude and the free breeze, I'm loving it. So <laughs> The free breeze. Yeah. Free love, free breeze. Free breeze. I love how Max Wright is in the free zone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was, like, I was like, he made it. He made yeah. it. Yeah. He did uh, it. Who is, uh, Mac, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, I think you just did. This is no. Mackenzie, the monster crier Gerber. <laughs> Ooh. And uh, I am... I am racing down the street with my family, and the dark man's right behind. Oh my god! Uh-oh. Are you campion also? Mixing up characters, some characters here. <laughs> Campions also uh, in in spirit, the yeah. monster crier. Yeah, uh, trying 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 to uh, uh, you know right some wrongs. I guess his soul <laughs> when he died outside of the gas station, his soul got transferred over to exactly. uh, New York into Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and who's do- joining us from the great state of Texas? Uh, this is Dan Corin Caffrey, because every every few years when we talk about the Stan miniseries, I have to come out of my hole and defend Corin Emick as Harold Lauder, Ooh, which uh, here we go. Uh, the gloves are off and I'm ready to do it again today. We'll, we'll get into it again today. Uh, mm-hmm. Dan, I had another name for you, which is uh, Dan Caffrey Jabul. <laughs> totally botched it. Dan Caffrey Abdul-Jabbar. I, I have another one. Uh, Dan Dan Caffrey San Giacomo, or however he's turning. <laughs> oh, San Giacomo. San Giacomo. Yeah. Hey, she's hey, not we, even we, in this she, episode. She's not in this one. Yeah, neither is sure, uh, so neither uh, is Corn Nemec, uh, right? Uh, no, he's in one scene. No, no, Nemec's in it for a heartbeat. Yeah, for just for a heartbeat. A yeah, I guess he and stops by the house. with his with his with his poems book. <laughs> his chat book. God. Well, um, glad I took so notes. <laughs> if you haven't, if you haven't uh, picked up on it, and you clicked on this episode without reading the title, we are here to discuss Stephen King's 1994 miniseries *The Stand*, directed by Mick Garris. Wait, you guys covered this two and a half years ago. That's true, we did. Uh, but I guess, like in the, in the with the state of things as they are, it felt like a good time to revisit. Uh, probably a gateway. Um, it was certainly for me sort of a gateway into Stephen King for a lot of people was this mini series, this four part mini series. And, um, it, you know, I feel like people talk about it more than probably any other Stephen King mini series aside from maybe it. Mm. Yeah. Like, and, but it in a weird way almost feels like a movie because it's, you know, it like is three hours, which is, you know, um, at least like a running time for a movie. But this is, uh, you know, if you're sitting down to watch the stand miniseries, you're, you're setting aside some real time, Yeah, which we're doing. Yes, so. we are. Unless you're in self-isolation, which in which case. It's yeah. Easy not not only are we like setting another... aside time, we're, we're setting aside it by chapter, because if you look back at our old episode, which is from <clears throat> 2017, 
we covered <laughs> not only the entire six hours, whatever, seven hour opus, but then also talked to Mick Garris and WG Snuffy Walden. So that's an insane, crazy long episode. Um, and yeah. These, yeah. So the, I, 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 <laughs> I haven't, uh, I haven't gone back and listened to that, but this is cool because now we're going to be covering it part by part. And being able to go a, a lot more in depth in these these little movie episodes because when we first did it, you know, I think we were we were like at the end of our rope with the stand. We, we had just covered <laughs> all three parts of the book. We, it was like a month long intensive, and so when we got to the movie, as much as we love it, I don't think we spent like a long time on it. Um, so I'm excited to kind of dive back into it, and uh, and I don't believe Dan was on that episode, so it'll be cool to get your takes too. Um, yeah, I can't. I was, try, I was trying to think supporter. the other day. I, mean, I remember, I remember, but I also maybe maybe um, stand stand for Nemec, uh when we were talking about Harold because I was on I was on I think half of the stand episodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, the, the whole book Gordon, run of episodes are fucking insane because I think we started yeah. out in our new studio at the time. Then we like had to record one in your dining room. Uh, so it literally sounds oh, like an old. Right. It literally sounds like one of the recordings from the Boulder Free Zone meetings and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then we went back to the studio. Then we went back to the studio for the the movie episode. But then I think one of we still hadn't figured out the call recording for the interviews. So some, one of the interviews sounds good, and then the other one does. It's one of them is unusable. Like we we've we've removed that in Stork uh, interview because it just it's impossible to even understand what the hell's you know he's saying. Um, so oh, it's such a good interview. I love that. interview. I know though. it's that so was, much fun. You guys did a great yeah. job. It was cool. Maybe maybe, maybe again. Maybe again. But I'm all I all I remember from those recordings yeah, were just we like get Stork back on. Yeah, we should try. Uh, all I remember from those recordings, though, were just how insane a lot of like the setup was. I think like at one point, like even for the second episode, when we had to set up in your dining room, Dan, like we were like, "Oh shit, we need another microphone, or we need some sort of cord for the microphone." So we had to wait for that. And then for the Adam Stork interview, the 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 internet went down at an apartment, so we had to run over to the office. Like it was, it was yeah. as if we were. Uh, in the, the the pages themselves. Um, <laughs> well, and correct, correct me if I'm wrong. What, I'm looking at my uh, my bookshelf, which has all the the King books in order. I think we did Night Shift, then The Stand. So it was just a lot of yeah. real like multi part episodes. Um, and I, I remember when we got to the Dead Zone, we were all relieved. Like, oh, mm-hmm. thank God we're not doing um, thou- like. I mean, we we had like four episodes. I think for for the, the night shift and the stand, right? I mean, I remember just feeling like a total, that was like all we were doing for like three months. Yeah, it was, like it, it took up a lot of time and it was crazy too because we were delivering episodes or book episodes like every two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So that was an unsus- unsustainable yeah. uh, pace, uh-huh. but they were good, man. I mean, like, I mean, it's, I think the night shift episode is fun because, well, it was awful to record because we did all of it in one day. Oh, it was God. like literally like a nine hour recording. And we talked about all the movies and the, and the stories like in one sitting and we broke it up into two episodes, but I remember it was such a marathon. And then, yeah, we went right into the stand after and then ev- every God, part yeah. was like three hours. And mm-hmm. so, and then the, it was very similar. Like I, I, I remember seeing a tweet from like a listener at one point that was just like, uh, Great time to fire up this three and a half hour podcast about part two of the stand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I still stand by like, uh, no pun intended, those episodes. And I still stand by like, I, I still think like the eight part uh, <laughs> it breakdown that we did might be like the, the 
the the crowning jewel of our podcast. Uh, if you yeah. Think about it. Well, no, I think that's I I stand by it too. I think it's what makes it special because yeah. it's like, and I think it is what attracts certain people. Like I know, um, I remember I've like when it was going on. I remember people posting just like, wow, like here's three hours about you know three hundred pages within it, which I think it's like. You know, that's that's, I think, the appeal, because when you're when you're really into something, like if you're really into King or really into it, even just like the book, it's it's like it's it's like there's there's podcasts that you listen to to, like, get information. Right. And those are good, like nice and short. But then there's other times where you just kind of want to luxuriate within this piece of art that you like. And I think that's what's fun about I think that's like why I stand by the approach of doing like long episodes and like doing these like multi-part series for um for a book or something, because I feel like that's not something that King nerds get to do a lot, you know, unless you have a bunch of King friends, Mm -hmm. which uh, not everybody does. And so I don't know. I think it's, I mean, like just being friends with you guys, like so much of our time is spent just like unpacking dumb shit that we loved when we were kids for like hours on end. So well, that's literally the conceit of this podcast, like (laughs) because we wouldn't shut the fuck up about Stephen King for months straight. And then I thought we were going to get our jollies out by doing the fucking uh, behold the cinematic universe piece that we did where we broke down how to make like all the dark tower and like all of King's dominion. And by then we still wouldn't shut the fuck up about King every time we hung out. So I think at some point we're just like, yeah, let's just do it. And then, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, anyways, nice little, nice little retrospective there. I think like going back to 2017, taking us back to the roots of the podcast, how far we've come. Uh, and it's been quite a ride and we appreciate every single one of you guys for sticking with us and, and, uh, being along for the ride. So let's, uh, let's dig into this blast from the past from 1994. Uh, and like I said, if you want to go back and listen to our previous episode, it's still, it's in the queue. It is uh, free for listening and it does contain interviews with Mick Garris and WG Snuffy Walden, both are great interviews. Both are super nice people. We love talking to them. And then the Adam Stark interview was great. Unfortunately, it is lost to time. But it didn't. Didn't it end with him saying, uh, "My life for you," like yes. Trash Can Man? Yeah, which is awesome. So yeah. he, we're so uh, Stark, good, good man. We support. We, we stand yeah. for Stark. Uh, so I think let's go around and um, talk about like what we remember from the first time we watched this, like uh, when we saw it and what our memory of that is. So Mike, do you want to start? I mean, for me, it, it goes back to when I was, you know, just a, a wee lad. Um, <laughs> I was 10 years old uh, and it, for, it was, it wasn't the first thing of Stephen King I saw, but it was definitely one of the ones that, that, that made me realize that, uh, you know, if I was going to go, find horror stories he was going to be the guy because I, I had known about him because of Pet Cemetery and, and The Shining but it I don't know there's there something about the Stan miniseries that made me realize even at 10 that there's a sort of ubiquity to Stephen King and and everyone because everyone was talking about it um, and I didn't I only got to see like glimpses of it when it was actually on ABC but uh, I do vividly remember uh, falling asleep when my babysitter at the time, yeah, I was 10 years old and I had a babysitter, whatever. Um, we had a, I had a, I have a younger brother, so he was around four years old at the time. Um, yeah, so, right. Babysitter was for you. Yeah, it was for me. So it was more for him. But anyway, <laughs> um, and so I vividly remember like falling asleep or something like that. And I woke up and I went to the living room. The babysitter had rented the stand and he must have been on the, the first part, actually, because it was right before Stu escapes. And I just remember being so enthralled and also kind of terrified because 
the idea of a global pandemic or a global apocalypse was so alien. Like I never thought about that, you know, even at like 10 years old, it just wasn't something that like, you know, came to fruition in my head. Um, and so that stuck with me. I mean, like, and I, and I remember like ultimately going to Blockbuster, I think like the next day and renting all of it and watching it and consuming it and consuming it. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big part of like why I love Stephen King is this miniseries. So I'm, I do have some sort of soft spot for it, even if I'm probably going to be the most critical of it on this, I think. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a bold statement. Not this part specifically, but there are seep, there are things of, yeah, coming up and uh, because I think this is actually the best section of the four. Um, I think, and I actually would say almost the same thing about the book. Um, but yeah i will we'll get to the criticism in a little bit but i don't know what do you what about you randall <laughs> uh i have very fond memories yeah like my my a friend of my brother or something had rented or no had he owned it and he had left it at our house and i i watched a lot of movies because i would steal my brother's like vhs tapes like i remember i first saw mall rats uh because it was on like a, a vhs that had been taped off tv but then also the movie kids was on it uh, unedited, and I watched like Mallrats, and I was like, "This movie's hilarious." And then I watched Kids, and I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> I was way too young." And um, but yeah, and so that's how I got into a lot of movies was I would just steal stuff my brother had, and and uh, I watched The Stand just like you know over the course of a couple days, and I was pretty obsessed with it. I I hadn't I missed it when it was on TV, so it was just the v, the the double VHS, and uh, and I. I remember just like absolutely loving it. And then I had been reading Michael Crichton at that time, but I wasn't reading Stephen King. And this was sort of like the nudge I needed to want to read Stephen King was I just wanted to see how this epic series like, you know, looked on the page. And so I asked, it was around Christmas time and I asked for the stand, uh, uh, book. And I remember it was one of my favorite gifts that I got that year because it, it was so massive. You know, I got the uncut version and it was this this giant tome. And I th that was really cool to me because I hadn't I'd never read a book that big. And it felt like this huge, daunting task. And and uh, reading the book was just as thrilling, too. So, yeah, just really fond memories of it. And I eventually bought it for myself, the mini the miniseries on VHS. I think it's long gone at this point. Uh, maybe it's at my parents' house. I don't know. But I have a question, uh, I, I have a question for you. Um, yeah. Like because I had mentioned that this is kind of like, like my first introduction to a pandemic because you had said you had read um michael crichton had you read the andromeda strain at that point i had yeah and i was thinking about that when i read the stand but um but the andromeda strain wasn't one of my favorite uh crichtons oh no um, no it's it's kind of dull yeah and <laughs> yeah exactly so i think i, I read it but i kind of skimmed through it and um i didn't really like engage with the material like i did when i read congo or or Sphere or Jurassic Park. Um, I love that you I put just, Jurassic Park at the I, end. All of I can think of is Congo the film. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what do you say, Mike? I, I love that you put, uh, you know, like his other works, like Congo, Sphere, or Jurassic Park. <laughs> like, you know, like that's not the first one that we all read when we were younger. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I I read those in the opposite order. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but no, it, I remember I tried to read like a few of, um, like Andromeda Strain and then, uh, the one about the, like the bionic man, I can't remember what it was called. Um, it had some kind of name like that. And then, uh, terminal man, terminal man. Term yeah. And then, um, and then a the great train robbery. I tried to read those and I remember thinking they were pretty dull. Um, but yeah, so 
anyways, yeah, that's that's my experience with it. Um, Dan, how about you? Yeah, I same thing. I remember there being a lot of buzz around this, even even as a nine year old, which is how old I was when this came out. Um, and I think I've said this before in the pod. I started seeing a lot of Stephen King on my parents' bookshelf. My dad was always reading a Stephen King book when I went to like Little League, and he was waiting for me. Um, and this, I think, was one of the first things I was allowed to to see. I'd seen Cat's Eye and then maybe Stand By Me at this point, but I remember it f- feeling like the first in you know in real time thing I was watching. Um, you know, that was a Stephen King property. And I think, too, I remember especially getting to part four <laughs> with the scene uh, with Nadine and Flag in the desert and being amazed that this was on ABC and that I was allowed <laughs> to watch this. Like, it felt really dark for ABC back back then. Um, and then, I don't know, throughout my life, and I, I think you guys all feel the same way, uh, it's become a weird source of bonding, I think, with a lot of people. I, I feel like everyone kind of knew what it was, like you were saying, you know, even people who didn't like Stephen King. Yeah. But... You know, once I got into college, it wasn't like people were always talking about the Stan miniseries all the time. And so I remember that that was part of how Mike and Mac and I bonded in college. I remember Flieger was visiting uh, um, in our apartment, and we got home from a party really late at night, and he saw that my roommate Bill had the Stan miniseries on DVD, and at that point it was out of print. And I remember we were like, let's watch the whole miniseries. It was like (laughs) 2 in the morning. I think we all fell asleep uh, before the first part was over. And then Randall, I remember what... uh, you and I were both working at Groupon as my away message at one point. I, I just wrote, Duratman forgives you this time. <laughs> and then you like and then you like messaged me, you're like, Oh my god, the rat man and, that, and so yeah, so I feel I feel like because the stand at this point, the miniseries is a little bit more obscure than something like it. If it, it's like if you know, you know. You know, I mean if you, yeah. if you know other people who who love it, they definitely quote it and uh yeah, so I and and rewatching it, I mean not so much in this this first installment, but it does get cheesy at a certain point, but I also still love it, and I really do think it was ahead of its time, and I, I think everyone involved did a, an awesome job on it. I, like, I, I never get sick of, of rewatching the miniseries. Yeah. How about you, Mac? Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. I, I This is one of the first <clears throat> things that I, well, probably the third Stephen King miniseries I watched, but this one definitely stuck the most. Uh, you know, you're watching the, you're like, like we were all, we were talking the other day about the effects or that it's cheesy or it's the nineties, but if you're watching it through the lens of, of being what, like 11 years old watching this, uh, in the nineties, so you don't know all these new special effects 20, 30 years later, <laughs> ultimately I think it's still really terrifying and pretty effective for, for coming out in the, what was it? 94. Um, I watched it at my grandparents and surprisingly I, I watched Tommy knockers before this too I didn't realize it came out before so the bar was probably set really low after Tommy knockers <laughs> yeah man that thing and sucks. Uh, and and Justin and I and my twin we watched this live um, or maybe not live because it probably came on too late but we were recording it on VHS and I remember getting home after school and watching each part as it came out and um, because I think after watching it, we just became like obsessed with Stephen King. And, and I honestly didn't read any Stephen King until, you know, like middle school. I think I was like sixth grade reading The Dark Tower. Um, but yeah, you know, the things that I always remember just go back to is that opening sequence with Campion. And I mean, it's funny because watching this first part, so much of what is ingrained in, in me 
in terms of like my memories when someone talks about the stand the images that come up the most for me are a lot of sequences in this first part it's probably because yeah. it made the most impact on me um everything's still like un it's you don't know anything yet you barely see the randall flag uh it at all i mean except for that last like little part you know where he's walking down the highway and it's just like there's it's so ominous and it's just it's the creepiest it's the creepiest part of the whole series for uh, personally i think um but yeah i i it, it just it took me over yeah it's funny that you said that dan about college because i I do remember like talking about this a lot, <laughs> and I, I think that that is one of the first things that I think we were all bonding on were, were these weird, you know, these dumb movies we watched on TV once. You it's know, actually, like, I, I feel like it, it was. Yeah, you know? I came in the the first time I ever actually met Flieger um, was when he was visiting. You know, Dan Flieger. He just hosted uh, the Jill's Game book episode. He, um, <laughs> yep. He uh, was there sitting in Bill's living room, I think, and the two of you were watching it like one o'clock in the middle of the day on a summer day. And I remember <laughs> yeah, watching, and I was in the band at the time, Bill, Bill Hansen, who, uh, he actually directed survivor type a short and he was at our, uh, Stephen King film festival, uh, two years ago. Yeah. He, um, yeah. If it wasn't for Bill, I wouldn't have met, uh, Caffrey. So it's actually, there's, there's a, there's some glue there, but, um, He's he's, a, he's a diehard wheel. and he's a diehard <laughs> Stephen King fan. So I think that 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 must have been like one of the things that you two bonded over initially. But. I feel like I I almost feel like when Dan was visiting, um, we we all started watching it. We all passed out, and then I think I think the next afternoon, which would have been a Saturday, we were like, all right, let's let's watch this little thing. And I remember uh, I remember Mac. I, I think Mac, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in college, like the. The thing I always remember you doing is going, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Well, that's something, because that's something that Justin and I would do for years, you know, like, and my, and my twins. <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, and, and, and it is so, it's so inappropriate when you just do it out of nowhere in the middle of a grocery store with your parents, <laughs> like, walking down the aisle. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's sort of like, that's sort of like um, revelation of us having like similar quotes, those deep cut quotes that we would say over and over again. That was like such a huge, that was such a startling revelation for me in college when we first all met because it was like, wow, people are going to quote what like Zach Grenier is going to say in Tommy Boy. Like, <laughs> like that shit was so weird to me. And part of the reason why I think we bonded so you know well and, and why we stayed together this long because we do get like we're we're fucking dorks with this stuff like we're, we're we get into the nitty-gritty of things and <laughs> and that was something i i learned um almost immediately with a lot of people in, in tallahassee i mean granted caffrey and i started out hating each other but like eventually when we discovered that we were, we're, we're one and the same when it comes to pop culture um it was so relieving to have those moments like we were talking about like when you're watching like the stand in the middle of the day and and being able to have those sort of inside jokes that were only inside jokes to you or maybe someone else from like, you know, five years or 10 years beforehand. Like I remember, I mean, Mac, one of the first times we ever hung out and we talked about this on the Halloween's podcast was the nightmare on Elm street. And we couldn't shut the fuck up all the time because, and, and much, yeah. much to Susan's chagrin. Um, because we should get Susan on one day yeah. to have her recount what what she remembers because I'm sure it was awful. <laughs> she was pissed, but it was such a big deal. All we did was talk. We just talked through the whole movie, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not one, especially if someone hasn't seen something. I'm not one to sit there and talk through it. 
But I, you know, I'm sitting there quiet with Dan watching it with Susan, and then Mike and Jay just kept making fun <laughs> of that opening sequence with like the lamb in the hallway with Tina, and I was just dying on the floor. <laughs> uh, we well, go way back, folks. If yeah. you're surrounded by it's, and it's one thing too if it's. Uh, I don't know. There's like everyone quotes like Anchorman or, or something, or whatever, right? And I, I love Anchorman also, but but it's one thing of that, and then it's one thing if you have if you have like six people around you who know the Stan miniseries like really well. There's no way you're you're gonna get through it without without do it without doing like setting them back, mother, you know, whatever whatever it is. And uh, yeah, so it, and, and once again, I, I think the Stan miniseries was a big deal when it was on, and I think people who know it remember it fondly. But I, don't, I think because like. It hasn't had a reboot yet or anything. I feel like it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, and unfairly so, I think, um, compared to some other some other King properties. Although it'll be if this CBS one ever happens, it'll be interesting if people go and revisit this. Although watching the YouTube link that that I used to watch the miniseries this time around, all the comments were like coronavirus yeah, brought oh, me totally. here. So maybe maybe it'll have a, this the sort of surge in in viewership and and people remembering well, that, it. That was the biggest thing I thought about. While watching the you know the old one again, because here I mean full disclosure, I real real I actually just rewatched this <laughs> last year because uh, my girlfriend Sammy hadn't seen hadn't actually finished it. She tried watching it on uh, a YouTube rip uh, a couple years ago after she had finished reading the book, and she was telling me that uh, the opening when it has Bloister Colt because like music gets pulled from YouTube. Um, all of a sudden, like it would have little bits and pieces of Blue Oyster Colts. Don't fear the Reaper. So it just go. Oh, don't go. Yeah. And it would just come in pieces. Oh, so like every 20 seconds, it would cut out. Yes. And so it would do that with any like major songs. How awful. And so she just was like, I can't do this anymore. So she stopped watching it, which is why we watched it last year. So, and that's when I had like a little bit more um, uh, critical thoughts that came into into play. So rewatching it just now in the midst of coronavirus, the first thing I could think of was just, man, how how much does CBS All Access just like fucking jonesing to drop this right now? And then I wondered, are they even finished? Because I remember seeing, granted, they've been really secretive about this production to the point where like the only things we actually even hear about really are like from Josh Boone's Instagram account and like, yeah, 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 and various tidbits and like. It wasn't even fucking like officially confirmed until like literally like uh, almost like a year after we had already heard rumored reports. But so I don't know what the hell's going on, but I did see set photos of like James Marston and uh, Greg Kinnear, uh, who's, you know, not playing um, a young uh, role, but Glenn Bateman um, is they were like all walking around the like seemingly like on the way to Vegas in like a lot of the set photos. So. I don't know if it's actually done filming yet. I, I imagine it is, but if it isn't, you know, even then that's if a they're problem. Not though. Well, what, Mac? the issue with that is, I, I I'm curious to see if they drop it at all right now. It's they one of those won't. things where if they drop it, you know how like I feel like something that was trending on um, Netflix was some doc called The Quarantine or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Pandemic, I think, or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, Pandemic. Yeah. And, like, and, and like, okay, I'm like, okay. But it's kind of one of those things that's like a little bit of a gamble. Like, it's like if it comes out now, are people going to watch it? Or are they going to continue? It's like, it's so, I know it's, the virus is very different, obviously. <laughs> I mean, people aren't dying in like, a, you know, 24-hour period. But it's one of those things where it's like I, I can see like half the population like being like turned off by it and not want to watch it. 
Let well, me, that's, let that's me jump you, in. well, that's the let issue with in. media right now. I mean, for just speaking like inside baseball with some of the stuff that's going on, uh, that's terrifying. If you go to websites and you notice there are clouds where ad space are, it's most likely because a lot of the ad companies right now are basically rejecting the, the principle of uh, wanting to be tied to anything coronavirus related and that's something that a lot of exactly. a lot of like media and uh, companies right now are kind of bucking against because um a it breaks a lot of rules and then also um the, well it's a gray area that, 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 that that's that's worth debating especially um when it comes to survival and making some fucking money in this industry um and the the and b it's 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 a, it's it's kind of taboo because everything's kind of related to the coronavirus right now in the entertainment industry. So yeah. like, it's, it's hard to kind of, you know, avoid that. And especially since there's so much traffic that's tied to it. So yeah, you're right, Mac, it is a risk and, and, and kind of like a, a weird gamble because there are, there would be some people that'd be like, ah, eh, kind of put off. But I think the biggest concern honestly would come down to like, whether there would be people worth that would be willing to sponsor it and would want their ads tied and associated to it. Having said that, I think, in terms of like popularity and what is going to get people talking and the impact it would have socially, like if they were able to drop this in like next month or not next month, but like, you know, by June, I guarantee you they probably would do quadruple what they anticipated, you know, a year ago when they were originally setting out. Yeah. You know, hold on, Mac, let me jump in. I I have, I have an answer here. Like, well, they're not going to do it. Uh, they're not going to drop it anytime soon. And because Marsden did an interview recently uh, with Deadline, I think. And he said he's like, I mean, and here the, the thing is, it is it is complicated. But um, he basically said they wouldn't drop it out of sensitivity, like that they were going to give it a, a wide berth. You know what I mean? And uh, but I was thinking the thing is, you're right, Mike. If they did drop this any anytime soon, it would do huge because here's the thing. All the critics would uh, would clutch their pearls and talk about how insensitive it is that they were dropping it right now. But it would do so huge numbers wise, because that's the thing that I've learned as I've gotten older is that like we're all sick fucks, you know, and people people are really twisted. And that's why, like and I am, too, you know, but it's like there's a reason that contagion became a bestseller again you know it's like as much as it scares people like this whole pandemic the first thing they do is go immerse themselves in it you know they want coronavirus content and they want something that is going to spell out whatever doom it is that they fear and and so i just feel like is is it 50 50 in terms of uh of like response yeah online probably like all the critics would be like how dare they but the the numbers would be so huge because i feel like people do flock to you know uh car crashes and fires and they want to see like what it is and and so yeah but the thing is when marsden said there's no way we drop it because of this that just makes me feel like it's not ready uh and that the thing is, I do think filming it, it at least has to be mostly done because they were they were filming for months and and Josh Boone like had talked about or like a lot of the actors posted like oh it's my last day on set and stuff like that like I remember seeing things like that they probably still have some stuff to film but they're probably finding ways to get around it um, 
And, uh, but yeah, I just have a feeling that they're really close to the end of production. And I still think they're probably on target to release it this fall, uh, which is the rumored date for when it would drop. And so, um, and I do think by the fall, there would have been enough time, you know, but I do agree with you a hundred percent, Mike, that, uh, that if it dropped within the next couple months, um, the numbers would be off the charts and it's, they still might in the fall, you know? I mean, I just can't, it's still so hard to fathom what the world is going to look like in six months, you know, because this is going to, this is having such a massive impact on the economy, the job market, and basically just like the general attitudes towards uh, global capitalism. You know, I mean, it's, it's like caused everything th- yeah. in the world. I mean, think about even the, the election, like re- leading up to this, all we could talk about were just, you know, the primaries, the primaries, the primaries, that was all that was inundating the news cycle. Right. And then, you know, even now yeah. you don't hear anything about it. I mean, you have, you know, Joe Biden, who I don't actually mind, but he, he's mumbling like a fucking idiot on on television <laughs> about how like careful. Oh, uh, don't you, get us bad reviews. It's all right. I, whatever. You guys can hate me <laughs> at, at Michael Rothman. Um, and. <laughs> And he's just sitting there, you know, talking about, you know, well, you know, you got to listen to the president. And then he has a, a fucking brain fart. And, and, it, and that that little clip that I've been seeing circulating around is literally like a pretty good encapsulation of just how we currently feel about the, uh, you know, the primaries, which is uh, nothing. Um, because right now, like there is this that there's there's so much inconclusive um data and 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 uh analysis of what's actually happening in society and not only just in the america but across the world i mean like i i do this thing where for me i can't i can't get in the cycle of watch of watching and reading the news every hour i i I will lose my fucking mind if i do that so what i do is in the morning i look and see what stories are out and i read those that that are most important and then right before bed when i need to get relaxed i read uh (laughs) <laughs> whatever headlines are on <laughs> CNN and then I go to bed and much more the chagrin of my girlfriend. Um, and, and, and what I've noticed, yeah, it's probably not a good idea, <laughs> it's, but it's, but it's a good way for me to just avoid all the chaos of the, of, of the day. But what I've noticed is that like it, it's every, every day seems to either a push the fucking um, months ahead or uh, be like like they're the, the most common thing I see are retractions of like well we said this before but now we're saying this and that sort of when you combine those two notions like there yeah there is this sort of like mystery there's this elusiveness to it all and it's made every facet of life right now that much more difficult because you can't plan ahead of time you can't like you can't even really plan for the now. Like you could literally just, you just have to like live almost like hour by hour to be like, Oh, well, I guess Well, we're doing this. We're I get, all right, we'll just stay in the apartment. Um, and I can't even imagine what that sort of, um, conundrum and that sort of, uh, that, that, that sort of gray area, that sort of mercurialism is doing for Hollywood right now. Like, like how they're even like, that's why we don't even like, I mean, I usually write about like what, two or three trailer write ups every day. I haven't written one in like over a week, like yeah, o- over, like, stopped, over two yeah. weeks. That's the type of shit that like you almost like hear about, like, like I keep thinking about like, the, what are the things that in the stand that really spook me? Right. It's, it's the, the thing that I always think about is like when Larry goes to the, the movie theater and they talk about like, oh, the, the Nightmare on Elm Street movie he went to go see and how Freddie was going to, you know, they hinted that Freddie was going to come back. But, well, we knew that Freddie wasn't going to come back because, you know, fucking 98 per, 99% of the world dies. It's like those little things that I've started to gather in my head 
of like, ooh, like that, that's changed. That doesn't exist now. And like stuff like the trailer write-ups and, and scheduling. And, and I, I just always laugh now when you see like all these acts and bands are like, oh no, we're going to tour in August. And it's like, fuck you. You don't even know if you're going to tour in August. Nobody knows. Like we don't know anything right now. And like, and it's, it's, it's made the quarantine, like when you focus on it, like it, it really makes the walls like feel that much closer to you because you have no, we have no idea when we're going to get out of this. Like, and that's, I, I agree, Mike. I think, no, yeah, it is terrifying. I, I think there are days like I actually was really happy when, when the quote unquote work week started because I kind of had too much time to myself this weekend to to think about all this and kind of get into a kind of a bit of a downer, I think uh, on Sunday, at least I, it's hard. It's hard when you don't really have the human contact that you would every single day, you know, pre any of this happening. It's very easy to just, you know, and I'm a very well-adjusted human being, I feel. And I, and I'm starting to get kind of a little like, uh, I don't like the idea of this going on for another month. And honestly, it's probably going to go on through at least June here in Chicago. I mean, until it starts getting really hot and hopefully that numbers dwindle finally because this the, the shelter in place has finally worked out. I, I just don't know. But that's why I think rewatching The Stand yesterday, I was really seeing things I hadn't noticed before and picking up on things I I, I just kind of just, you know, would, would go right over my head or just be in the background. There were just things that I was noticing. I was like, I, I've had that moment last week walking around or, you know what I mean? Like things that I was like, actually like, well, I can relate to this now. And that's weird because yeah. we shouldn't have to relate to anything in the stand, <laughs> you know? Um, what other things yeah. would you guys say that in this watching uh, maybe hit a little closer to home now than they did previously? I think just the oh, government yeah, mis- mismanagement of it. I, mean, I also read the the standard version of the book along with this. And it's funny because, you know, I I was having a really panicky week a couple weeks ago and I, I kept reciting all these scenes from the stand to Susan about leaders lying about stats and not taking it seriously and whatever else. And it's funny because we've seen a little bit of that, but I think it's been accelerated because of social media and just the scope of everything. You know, Trump at a certain point had to start taking it seriously, right? Like he could, he could really only lie about it and say false things about it for a certain amount of time. But then yeah. I think about when this documentary or the documentary, uh, when this miniseries <laughs> was made and when the and when Dude. the book was written and you're like, wait, this is pre-social media. You know what I mean? So I feel like if, if we didn't if we didn't have all the resources and the communication we do now and this happened, this, say, say this happened like 20 years ago and Trump was president. I'm like, oh, I could totally see this getting worse in a way. I could see the government even trying to cover up, cover up their tracks a little bit more, you know, even though I know this isn't, isn't genetically engineered. Um, I, I could see, I could see. How do you being know? A, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm less of a conspiracy I'm theorist than like, yeah, but like, but, but cause, cause at first I'm like, oh, the government mismanagement isn't as bad as it is in the stand. I'm like, yeah, but it's also a different time. And in, in the stand, it was easier for the, the lies to be kept up a little bit more. So that's something I, I keep thinking about. You know, the only, the, the thing that's scary is like the, the thing that I thought about watching this that really uh, bothered me is that you watch Ed Harris in, in that room and he's like, ah, oh, well, we're kind of fucked already. It, you know, cause Campion went from California to Texas and he's like, Oh, well, you don't, you know, you don't know that we can't, 
you know, we can't say that. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And in his head, he just totally knows. And the biggest terror that I got watching this entire first segment is knowing that we don't have one fucking person in the administration, core administration, that has that sort of logic, that has that sort of that sort of cynicism that you need right now. Because that cynicism, as much as you want to sit here and say, oh, you can't think that way. Well, you kind of have to. Because if you don't think that way, things that are going to think that the, the worst, the evil that, that, you, that, you, that nobody wants to talk about is going to happen. And when you have a person that's just espousing superlatives and acting like a fucking ass clown and, and basically saying the stupidest shit possible without having any sort of science or reasoning behind it, and you have literally the person that's running the operations, the CDC and everything else behind him, covering his face in, in embarrassment, that type of shit scares me. And we don't have you know a General Starkey behind the scenes basically like coming up with logic somebody who could feel shame and and, and exactly <laughs> but yeah, yeah someone and that, yeah. that, that, that is right now look at look at just go to cnn right now the headlines right now literally read like something in the stand we are slowly descending into chaos miami doctor says government cuomo basically saying please help us in new york this virus isn't as devastating as captain trips it's not and i and if i got the virus i would be a little nervous and and, and worried because i have asthma and I'm a three-year-old smoker at this point, but it's not Captain Trips. But what's worse is that the administration and the people running things in the stand, which, I mean, King hates administration and he hates the man, so he's going to paint him as like kind of like, not idiots per se, but um, uh, aloof and and uh yeah and and not and not and not godlike as, as as society likes to think of our administration. They we we don't even have. Even our, our administration currently doesn't even come close to that. So that's what scares me, because. But wait, real quick, real quick. Yeah, though, Star- I will Starkey say that. in the book, Starkey in the book, though, let's not forget, he releases Captain Trips on purpose in China and Russia. So I'm, I don't want to envy. I know I don't. I don't want to envy Starkey. Well, not in the much, book, but a, yeah, in the well, in the well, book well, for we're, sure. We're but talking I'm, about I'm the literally just talking here, about no, the movie. Ed Harris is in the room. He's smoking cigarettes. He sees what's going on. He literally just shaved his head after needful things. He's fucking embracing the you idea. You just love Ed Harris. I love Ed Harris. And I do too. I love Ed, Ed Harris. Is, he's great. He's he is fantastic. Ed Harris is probably like the best actor in this movie. Oh, easily. Although when he when he shoot, although when he shoots himself, I feel like the blood looks like Kool Aid or something <laughs> on the screen. That's such a weird. It probably it's was such a weird effect. He's like, do you mind if I uh, <laughs> you mind if I have some of this Kool Aid? Um. As as good as the effects are in this in this movie, um, yeah, I feel that scene always cracks me up. Real quick question for you guys: yeah. going back to the opening, real quick. I feel like whenever I hear "Don't Fear the Reaper," and I, and it was the same thing in the version on YouTube, they don't play that song. So I like I paused it, watched an isolated clip of it elsewhere, and then came back to it. <laughs> even though even though they have they have "Sharp Dressed Man" and "Don't Dream It's Over" and some of the other songs in there. Anyway, I, I remember when the when the more cowbell sketch came on SNL suddenly that song is really funny and that was what everyone was associating it with. I still always think of the opening scene of The Stand. I don't think I do. of the... Oh, well, yeah, that, that's kind of yeah. shocking to me because as someone who, if he could, would watch Halloween every day until he died, <laughs> I would think that you would think of Annie and Lori getting stoned in, you know, in the car. Well... Oh, you know, that's Mike, a good point. Uh, I, do. oh, yeah, that's I gotta a throw point. this out there, though. I... And I've watched Halloween a billion times, and I don't think I really noticed that that's what they're listening to for a long time. Maybe I just don't have great ears. 
But this is definitely, I mean, this, it, all it is is the song, and it's just showing you footage of dead people. I mean, in the worst way. You know, the, 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 the it, it always blew my mind. I never really paid attention to the fact that the, how the, the bug hits these people in the compound so quickly. But then they, they throw out the line. They say that, you know, now that it's out, like, it's probably going to mutate. But it just means it's going to take longer for people to die. But, like, that sequence of just showing all those dead bodies. And I remember watching that when I was 11 years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it was disturbing. And that song stuck in there. But it was probably after that that every single, like, horror film, there were so many horror films that used that song. Oh, totally. Always loved Scream that. uses it, right? Scream does yeah, that type of uh, cover, it. like a cover of uh, it. <laughs> I think it's playing in Demon Knight. I mean, it, there's tons of movies that play it, and I always love that. It's just, it's almost like this little unknown nod to horror, you know? Just like, you gotta throw that in there somewhere. I have a question. I have a question on the scene that I wanna throw at everyone, because I was thinking about this while watching it. Is this peak Garrus? Yeah. Like this one sequence? In terms of marriage of uh, sound, oof. the direction. I I almost think like it doesn't get better. I think for, it's pretty great. It's I mean, fucking amazing. All the, like, yeah, uh, all let the me way jump through. in. Let me jump in here. Yeah, go for it. Uh, the it's I think it's really good. The song pairing is good. The setting is good. The the way the camera snakes through the lab and everything is good. And uh, the dead bodies for the most part like really land. Except I fucking laugh. Every fucking time I see the man who died while playing ping pong. Yes! Because <laughs> I love, this is I assuming love that, that he died well, instantly. Nobody, There's no way he died yeah, instantly. Yeah, nobody... That's what drives me crazy well, about thing, this, though, Dan, it, is that... That's what... You don't die while holding a, f- a fucking ping pong paddle and fall. <laughs> like it's like it's not like he was shot in the back of Wait, the head. Wait, no, no, right. <laughs> they did say they did say that the people right in the lab died within five minutes. So I like to think, yeah, of course, it, you know, five minutes is not enough time to keep playing. Five ping minutes pong, is a but, long time. But but I, I would like to think he was playing ping pong. He got sick and just kind of keeled over and was just there and then died slowly. In, in that I position. don't buy it. <laughs> just like the guy who is like he's like framed against the doorway, like grasping at the door in a way like the way his body is like if he was slumped against the door, I would buy it. But him like the way like Garrus clearly like, uh, you know, had him put his arm up against it. And like it's clearly like a, 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 a position that is uncomfortable for the actor. And the idea that he died in that position is very funny to me. It's like because like what tab what Garrus does here is he sets a little tableau. And I think for the most part, it really works. Even the guy on the door. Oh, I like it's, it's so the good, yeah. it's the ping pong guy this that I Hollywood can't baby. Get Hollywood. It is, it is Hollywood. <laughs> classic Hollywood. They just love their ping pong. Hollywood. Bets. I know. And this is what. So I watched it with my wife. And I have a lot to share about her reaction because this was her very first time ever seeing it. And she just saw the first part. And I have a lot of I'm very interested because we all grew up on it. We all have this nostalgic connection. And I was really curious with somebody who had never uh, she's read the book. She read it a few years ago. uh, And but she had never seen the miniseries. And so I'm like, well, what is somebody entering this fresh thing? And I'm going to talk more about that later. But the one thing she kept cracking up at was just like the dramatic deaths. Like like when Campion like says his last line and then he goes, and then dies and then like that happens with like oh, that's so good though that's that so happens, no, it's that happens with like it. that happens with like three different people throughout this and every time Jen like Larry's mom does off. it too yeah like, yeah they just well, like see, have these moments think... where they just suck at a breath and then they're dead yeah! and it's like and I <laughs> but I I like to imagine the ping pong guy the same way like he hits the ball and he goes <laughs> just just dead on the table 
<laughs> you know, I've got to say, I'm going to poo-poo your wife here. <laughs> oh, getting a little scatological. This is, a, this, is, this is a woman you say all the time doesn't actually watch stuff. She's like on her computer half the well, time. Was she actually no, watching it this, the whole time? In this instance, if, if I'm showing her something, she will watch it. She usually just like... Okay, okay. She, like, she just, like if I'm watching a TV show, she doesn't commit to it. She'll like kind of like do her work or play her game while in the room. And if right. it pulls her in, it pulls her in. But uh, in this instance, I said, I really want you to watch the stand with me and she uh, gladly acquiesced i will add too because i think this does color the reaction we did smoke some weed before <laughs> so i do think that there was maybe a little and okay this is the other point i want to get to though was you know when jen was watching it she laughed a couple times and like i'm gonna play it later uh we jen did a uh uh, impression of Nick Andros um, when it is in the Mother Abigail dream, and it is very, very oh, funny. I, I was doing it at home yeah. on my own. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm going to play it for everyone later when we get to that part of the pod. And uh, but so she's like laughing and 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 goofing on stuff, and you know, saying when she likes certain parts. But overall, I thought she kind of had a pretty benign reaction to it, uh, like in terms of it didn't freak her out. And she's someone who is uh, very invested in sort of the coronavirus narrative. And and has been following it since January. She has work in China. So it's like, this has been something she's been tracking. And she was the one who was telling, having a stock up weeks and weeks before any, like really anybody was saying we had to do that. And I thought she was mildly overreacting at the so time. So you're the one with wrong. all the toilet paper. Is oh, that what you're trying well, to say? we have, we have a reasonable <laughs> amount. Let's just say that. And, uh, but, fine, but reasonable. She, <laughs> <laughs> we have an entire closet filled with them. Oh, God now, damn it. Um, Wow. Uh, but but the no, guest room's just br- filled with a brim. <laughs> you can't even get in. It just Michelle's just the like, flying through fucking like twenty four pack after twenty four pack of toilet paper. Hey man, when Michelle gets a, a paper towel roll in her clutches, that thing is all over the house. Oh, so, no. but I will say, uh, you know, it finished, and I said to Jen, I'm like, oh, what'd you think? You know, and then she's like, I've had my jaw clenched for the last ninety minutes, and I was like. Oh, like, because I didn't think it was bothering her in that sense, but it was. Now, wait, did you watch just part one? Or the yeah, we thing? just watched part one. Yeah. yeah and here. so, okay. um, yeah, for well, now. It, it sucked and, her in. It sucked well, her in. No, I mean, I don't think she loved it, and I don't think she really wants to watch the rest. But <laughs> I think, uh, but I will say that, and I'll talk more. She gave me some specific reactions uh, that I'll read later, but she, but the thing was, like, I, I didn't think that she was going to get anxious about the material at all, but it still freaked her out a lot, you know, and it, it still got under her skin a lot. And, um, and I was like, and I, so I was kind of surprised by that because I've seen it so many times that it doesn't, it, it, there's there's certain things that triggered within me, but overall, it's like I still was like, well, what we're facing is not Captain Trips, you know. There's not soldiers killing the press right now, you know, like right now, at least not, not yet. yet. And so, um, you know, you see images of like people <laughs> in like yet. like soldiers in Italy and stuff like that or whatever, yeah. you know. Like, I mean, again, like like Mike was saying, this is not Captain Trips, and I think that is what everybody needs to take away from this. <laughs> the quarantine we're having now, like this this flu, it's it's awful. And we do need to flatten the curve, but this is—it's not the same. And I think that I, I do, that's why I do think in a few months, when when things start calming down a little bit, hopefully, they might start dropping the new stand because I think that they just don't want to be associated with like the chaos. I think like they're fine; they will be fine dropping it if it's like we've got it under control. Do you know what I mean? Because then it's like yeah. it doesn't matter. Then it's just like something everybody can well, bond over. S- something that I feel like is not 
similar between what's going on in the main series. I actually feel like the army or, or, and the national guard, whoever is helping out, is not getting the reputation that they do in the stand. Like mm-hmm. they're not silencing people, as far as I know. And uh, but it's funny because my, Mike and I were joking before when when uh, you know before South by Southwest got canceled <laughs> that we'd be doing it in the middle of like a disease zone and we'd be trying to do like a band interview. Then then a soldier's like, put down the fucking camera, and just like shoot us. Cause, like because this in, in, in that Ray Flowers scene and, and then yeah. just anytime the military's around, it's just like. It's just like get the fuck down, and then you just hear bullet. I mean, it's almost like South Park or <laughs> Damn, something. It's, um, it's, yeah. I was trying totally to interview Kamel Nanjiani. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what what's kind of cool? No, seriously what, though, it's a totally different time. Well, it's <laughs> no, no, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool because in the stand, we don't have a you know, there's no president that says um, to Ray Flowers like, "Be nice, be nice," like you know, you know, just just be nice. <laughs> Well, like that's a reality. Nice I know. Know. You just have a president that's somewhere okay like to go kill these radio hosts. No, no, we don't have that. <laughs> but, but like even Stephen King in his wildest imagination, in his coke fueled imaginations, petting a corgi, sitting up in the fucking attic of his house, didn't dream up a president telling the press corps be nice. Be, all right, whatever. I'll digress. I don't. This is going to get us. That's in true, and that's why but if you want if you want to follow Stephen King's <laughs> thoughts on President Trump, go 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 follow him on Twitter. Uh, uh, I'll just say the one thing that did, and it's the the part that I found funniest, but then the part that I keep thinking about later is the scene that we see of rioting um, that's going on in the streets. Uh, like you know probably about halfway through uh, the first part. And my note, I just said, uh, looting is so funny. Guy with shotgun, guy stealing jeans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> was yeah. in my notes. Yeah. But, you but see that's these... so true, though. But you I see, need so these true. threads. That's exactly what people would be doing. Yeah. Well, so, but it was so funny, like the looting. And, but the, the part that I really found funny was just some random dude with a shotgun just cocking it and shooting off screen. I'm just like, who are you shooting Which, at? Yeah. But no, then, no like, it's funny when, when that when it aired on ABC and they cut to commercial, that was one of the shots they kept showing was the dude, the random dude in Queens, like shooting the shotgun. I always laugh at that scene because they pan over to there's a group of people who are trying to tip over a cop car or just like a regular car, and what at the last moment one guy gets up on it, just does like a rain dance on it, like, like he prances around it, then he hops off. Or they, well, yeah, because they, they tip I, I agree, it with Dan. Him I was laughing top. at that too. And but anyways, but I did start to think about like how close are we to looting at this point? Well, like yeah. there is a a really creepy nah, story. Well. Here's the thing. There are little things that keep peeking back, you know, up and down in the in the when you're looking through the news uh, channels. And like one of the ones that today that was really actually eerie that literally felt like I was reading a Blumhouse story uh, was apparently <laughs> there are people that were barricading and, uh, and, and blocking people from leaving their home uh, because I guess they had found out that they were um, sick with the coronavirus and they didn't want it to spread out in their community. So they literally blocked them in their house um, and forced them to quarantine uh, and stay home. And, you know, you hear about that. You pair that with like, you know, I live in Wrigleyville in uh, Chicago. So come at me. Um, and, and you can pick up some Cubs merch while you're, while you're here. But, you know, like a few weeks ago, I, I found <laughs> there were pe- there was an apartment that just somebody just decided to start burning for no reason. Like, look, you know, taken separately, whatever. They're occasions. They're, that's probably what they are. They're just little things that happen, at, 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 you know, at, at separate incidents. But 
this is the beginning. Like I, I keep joking with Randall that like this is like the first forty five minutes of like a shitty Noel, Noah uh, Emmerich movie or not a Noah Emmerich. That's from the Americans. Um, Roland Emmerich movie, uh, disaster movie. Basically, that we're seeing the boring part where we, you know, Paul Giamatti comes around the corner. is like, oh, you gotta get, um, you know, uh, there's gonna be a, a yeah, seven point four earthquake that's gonna be hitting us uh, down in Chicago. You gotta get us yeah, out of there. Like, that's where we're at. I like that you're literally referencing think, San Andreas starting the Rock. Yes, yes, and also, <laughs> yeah, and, and like I, I just, <laughs> I just think like when you when well, I when I start seeing these stories that 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 are not in tabloids and not in some sort of weird part of the uh, news cycle yeah. but are literally on the headlines that's when i'm starting to get a little nervous because i'm like all right like unrest is 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 not actually taking over society but it's starting to bubble up and knowing how fucking stupid our society is right now and just how like we have no self-control whatsoever it, it does make me a little nervous like it, because it, it, anything that I keep saying this to, to Sammy is that like, I'm not worried about the virus. The virus doesn't scare me. It's, it's society and the, and the, and the people that are running it right now that like specifically the administration yeah. that, that is making me al- alarmed and terrified because one, we have no real uh, guidance and control at the top. I don't care. You can come at me with whatever opinion you have, but look at the facts of the facts. Just don't leave a bad review of the podcast. Just, just don't leave a bad me. review. <laughs> if you want to just le- come at me on, on Twitter, you don't have to, you don't have to leave a bad review but the facts are the facts i swear yeah. to god our give, only give bad like a one star on twitter i know i know and we probably Trump. are gonna get fucking one stars from it but, well let me but the, the, the truth is, is that well, that's no, the really thing quickly. that's what's scary right now is that like people are people don't have the answers and when people don't have the answers people are gonna fucking resort to craziness and chaos and you and, and like when i see little stories about like that that that's that that doesn't scare me so much as make me wonder like how how many more stories am i going to hear about that well, you're probably going to hear yeah. a lot because no one's talking about the people that are like leaving toilet paper on people's doorsteps and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing but about yeah, the I rioting, guess, yeah, you go Mac. really quickly. The the rioting situation in the movie, as silly as it is, it it reminds me a lot of the Dawn of the Dead riot when yeah. they hit the mall. The totally. bikers hit the mall because they're taking shit that doesn't matter. Exactly, like yeah. jewelry and TVs and stuff that just doesn't matter anymore. And that's the that's the craziness of it. Of of like if there were if there were riots now, it's just like these people just go for like the shit that isn't gonna ever matter ever again. Like, what are you gonna watch on your TV? Nothing I will see too played. that. Uh, you know, exactly well, wait, wait, can you guys pause this? I'm gonna go do my blood test. Uh, I want to see what my heart rate is. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will see too the uh, that old couple makes me sad in the riot. There's the old woman cradling her dying husband. That genuinely makes me sad every time I see it. Even though the cop. What do you think happened? Funny. What, was he shot by the man with the shotgun? I think yeah, so. Oh, I think he got. Yeah, yeah I think he got. Uh, he succumbed to violence, not um, not not the not the plague. Yeah. Well, he shouldn't have been in the street. Here, here's he a question: been Do you self, think he should have be been social distancing? Do you think if Spotify <laughs> and Apple Music was around, like Larry would be even bigger? You know, like if would people. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, that's. I'm actually curious how they're going to handle that in the new one if it takes place now. I mean, he'd yeah, he would. Uh, he would soar on the charts. I, I actually love that song that they wrote for it too because it it sounds totally like. A Richard Marks or a Glenn Fry or some, some uh, like white dude in totally. the 80s. It's so good. I, I fucking love it. And the, the and song I has love a lyric. Album. <laughs> I love the, the album, album cover. Pocket, pocket, pocket Savior. It's, pocket a little, savior. it's a little Adam Stork inside his own pocket. <laughs> but it has, no, it has it, a, it, a, it, a lyric him, where he's like, is it him inside his own pocket? 
Yeah. Is it? It's, it's either in his pocket or or the. I guess I think it's like a sexy pocket. woman Maybe with like in the have like in a the leather book, vest they, uh, on only. In the in the book, they describe the the album cover. And it's different because the books in the seventies. It's him soaking in a clawfoot tub, and then on the wall in lipstick, uh, "Pocket Savior" is written uh, uh, by, by a woman. But that's like totally to like it. Like an I, I like it. I like that. I love that both in the miniseries and the book. They don't make Larry like this prodigiously talented musician who was going to be a legend. It was no. like, okay, he wrote this one song and he's kind of good. You know, I think it's so, so here, smart. Here, here's a question I have for you, Caffrey. This, if the miniseries was not made in 94, but like in the late 80s as originally envisioned because George Romero was supposed to do it, do you think Glenn Frey could have played Larry? Hey, Glenn Frey is a pretty good actor, I, yeah, I think. And, I yeah, agree. I, and and pe- and people always describe people always compare Larry to Bruce Springsteen because in the comic book adaptation yeah. he looks like Springsteen. And Springsteen gets quoted a lot in the stand. But I actually think his career would have been more similar to like Glenn Frey's solo career. You know what I mean? I yeah. don't think I don't think Larry Underwood was supposed to be a Bruce Springsteen in terms of talent or anything. So yeah, and I, I don't know, man, hey, watching his uh you're more of a Miami Vice fan than I am, but I think he's great in Miami Vice. I think he's, uh, as he said in the Eagles documentary, uh, Cameron Crowe <laughs> called me up and said, I need someone who's not going to take shit from Tom Cruise. And I said, I'm your man. And I think he's great in Jerry oh, Maguire. He doesn't, he doesn't oh, yeah, his, his classic Cruise. one. Uh, you've been running up the, the numbers of me for years. Now it's time for you to, uh, you know, to get some of your own medicine. I, that's not the line, but that's literally what he does. My favorite part of Glenn Frey is in <laughs> the end of Jerry Maguire. When, Holy when, Christ. when uh, they walk over, Rod Tidwell has already, you know, gotten hurt, and he's come back, and he's had this huge, wonderful fucking moment with his fans, where he's, you know, finally danced and been the sort of non curmudgeon that he says and rebels against the entire movie. Anyway, Glenn Frey walks up to the the, the locker room. Jerry looks at him, big lock eyes. Je- Glenn Frey is he's like stares over him he knows what what jerry's gonna say and jerry says uh very efficiently with his uh with his fingers money i want money and glenn frey is like i know i know and like <laughs> there's there's some talent there i i i mean i just i just love glenn frey i think he's good let me ask you guys this question what do you think of the stand the miniseries <laughs> 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 wait, 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 no, let, let me bring it back. Like we could talk about Glenn Fry. We could let, talk about Glenn Fry, but let me bring it back to the quarantine real quick, okay? All right. Okay. Let, all right. So we, we've we've established that we we love the opening scene, which which in the standard edition of the book <laughs> is only not at there. the opening starts, scene. But like it just starts at the gas station in the book, which is crazy to me. Yeah. Um, not the not yeah. yeah. But anyway. What should we start with? Like favorite sequences, or we can go the cast members. We've dove into that a little bit. Like who? Were, yeah, let's. I think. Yeah, I think we can well, keep it simple. Can... Let's just talk about things we liked. Yeah. Yeah. What did we like? Okay. Well, I, I, I have really a like... I have a question. I have a All question right. that everyone calm that's... down. All right, Mike, you go. I, I have a question just because we posed this to our Patreon uh, subscribers. Uh, didn't get it probably because you're not a Patreon subscriber. Um, but either way. I asked, based on a constant listener's theory, um, did Stu Redman cause the apocalypse in the stand? And I only bring this up because we talked about the gas station. And this is something that actually uh, kind of made me think about it a little bit, is that mm. this is the theory. Uh, they pose that by, fl- by Stu saying, flip the switches on the gas tanks, he allowed Charles Campion to live long enough to spread the disease even more. 
Whereas had the gas no, tanks, but he had, had the gas tanks exploded, Caffrey, the virus might have died with it. So we we pose this question to our Patreon viewers. Again, you can uh, follow us at www.patreon.com uh, slash the barons. Um, and you get in, in this, this this fresh polls, not even just fresh content. But fresh <laughs> polls. And one of the polls, <laughs> one of the polls, fresh this is the poll. Polls. Five people agreed. They said, good point. I agree. This is as of uh, recording, which is uh, Monday at 7.48 p.m. So if you didn't, if, if one of you are Patreon subscribers and you decided to vote after this, I apologize. Um, and that's central time. Uh, 22 <laughs> people, which is an absolute definitive answer to this, said, interesting, but that's bullshit. Um, and then two people said, we will still. So. Caffrey, <laughs> go for champion. it. Campion drove all the way from California yeah. to Texas. He drove halfway across the country. He True. already spread it to enough yeah. people. That, um, you know, it maybe well, wouldn't, wouldn't have spread as fast, but it, I, you know. Well, let's just say that you would break bread uh, evenly with uh, our uh, our Patreon follower, Laura Hamilton, who uh, who wrote, he would have had to stop for gas and food between California and Texas. Wouldn't he have spread the virus then too? I'm sure he wasn't practicing social distancing. So I think I'll say this. That's what you're going to say, right, Caffrey? He or? he says he says in in the miniseries that they've been driving straight through. Yeah. Oh wow. So he, then then he would have been he would have been totally fine then. Yeah. I mean, if they like, drove straight no, through, the, the he would have had to stop for gas though. There's no he way has, he, he just wouldn't be able no to get that far. There's no way at some point he has point, a supercar. Doesn't need gas. This is a. <laughs> This isn't communicable only within like a foot. Like it, it's an airborne disease. It's like it's out there. Well, let me let says me look you. This guy has his windows down. You got you have it. He's driving around for at least at least eight hours with you know his dead wife and daughter in his car. The, 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 there's just no way it's okay. out there. Here, I I have I have some science Max here. Fauci. I have some science. Um, now we because of the California. Oh, plants, do you? All right, let's yeah. <laughs> I have, I have a little bit of science. It's not, it's not like Mythbusters over here, but it's close. Um, now, they say that Campion has California license plates, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, he, that the base was actually in California, right? Like, but either way, let's just assume it was. Let's assume it's California. And let's in, the, in the book, it specifies California, okay. so I'm going to go off the so book. So we're going off the book. It's in California. Let's assume that it's in the southern point of California, which is around San Diego, um, and it would be in, let's say, just north of Tijuana. That means that if he was going to go from Tijuana to Texas, that East Texas. is East Texas. So the closest major town in Texas would be El Paso. Um, so, and that is, that is literally like already over 500 miles. There's no fucking way he doesn't have to. Like he has to stop for gas at some point. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Maybe I, he's got yeah, some there's, in the there's no, there's no point in Texas or California where you could get to between the, to the two states without getting gas. Like even the closest points, there's there's just no way. I think it's oh, no. Actually, to, from I, El Paso I, to San Diego, it's, it's 730 also. miles. That there's no fucking way that you have to stop for gas. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think I don't think Stu. Call, I don't I don't think it's fair to blame it on Stuart Redman. Um, <laughs> what? So, what do you guys like about the miniseries? <laughs> I should know. Well, I should say, note that I'm like. I literally know we a were giving Ray McKinnon whiskey, but, some yeah. a hard time about his death scene, 
But I love Campion. Uh-huh. I love Ray McKenna in this. I love when he I love when he drops out of the car and he says, My wife and daughter are sick, they need help. And then he says it again, just a little louder. Uh, he was just, also fresh off so Needful Things. Gone, but I, I love his delivery of the thing where he's talking about how they weren't alone, how some of the time there was a man with them, and yeah. they tried to lose him, but he couldn't. It's such a great like drop early on that of the Dark Man. So when you see him at the end, it's just even more effective. I just I love that little yeah. hint that's dropped there. Um, I love that whole opening sequence. I think the 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 less than a minute we get with the guys at the gas station feels like these guys have known each other their whole lives. Like it does feel very real and lived in, which I appreciate mm-hmm. because some of this stuff could just seem so cookie cutter. I, I will say with, I, th- I think in general, I know there's certainly some things we could use more nuance of in the miniseries, um, which we'll get to in, in future episodes. But I will say, I do think they do a pretty good job with the screenplay and doing a lot with a little and just like hitting those beats and, and essentializing everything. I, I even, even through the cheesy parts and through part four, I think they, for the, for the most part, the, it's a it's a pretty successful adaptation in that regard. I agree. Over, I think it, I think that's probably the most impressive part of this series is is how well it uh, it condenses such a massive unwieldy narrative and such like a massive ensemble. Because even though they cut a few key characters, they also I think do a really good job at uh, building out or at least giving a lot of space and, and air to the ones that, you know, really matter. And even taking like a small character in the book, like the rat man, you cast uh, Rick Avilas in that role. And then you final sudden, performance too. I, I think. know. Yeah. And it, yeah, rest his soul. But it's like, it's like you give like that guy has, he has like three lines in the movie. Like he's barely in it and he is so memorable in it, you know? And it's, it's, it's not like it's a cheesy performance. We always make fun of it. But at the same time, I think it's, I think that there's a lot that's memorable about the, the ensemble, which I think, you know, for me, it's like with the best King, it's all about the ensemble. And I think that I don't think every actor is great. um, And I don't think every actor is well cast in this, but I will say that even though like, I think, Stork is Stork grows on me. I think in the first part he's he's not Love great. Stork. Oh I yeah, because not hey, great. Dial back the clock to 2017. You were uh, not so hot on Stork back then. No, no. But remember if, when we recorded the episode, I talked about <laughs> how came I came around. around on him. I know. But oh, that's the thing. But rewatching this first part, he's not good in the first part. It's oh, I he, disagree. I love Adam. I love him. But in the, the first thing part, is, man. but the thing is, it's yeah. like it's not that he's it's not that okay. He's bad. Like he is a bad actor in it. But Ooh. he is compelling and that's one of the notes my girlfriend had was basically like she loved your Larry. girlfriend she, your wife she, your wife she, wait oh did i say girlfriend <laughs> you say girlfriend, you say girlfriend. Yeah. god I, i've been married who's for the years. one who's uh, the one drinking whiskey is it you, you see are you seeing um, jen on the side as well i don't understand <laughs> but no but so, I, I, yeah wait i was just gonna say like jen like she thought he was a horrible actor, but he was also one of her favorite parts of the first part, you know, because I think that there's something kind of infectious and fun about Larry in that first part. So that's the thing that I can give him. I don't think he's a great actor, but I think that he's a compelling screen presence. And so what, do, what uh, don't you guys yeah. like about him as an actor? Cause I mean, maybe I'm by I, I, ever since I was a kid, I've loved Adam Stork and I can't believe he's not more famous. I think he's so good in the stand. What, what because don't you he, guys cause like? Cause he, he's, he's cheesy. He's a cheese ball. I think it all comes down character to at that point. He's yeah. supposed to be kind of like I disagree. I disagree. 
I don't think he's yeah, insufferable. Yeah, I'm, I'm, picturing, I'm, picturing, I'm picturing Adam Sandler from Uncut Gems. I disagree, man. I, I, I disagree. <laughs> well, I mean, I, All right, I, I, well, I, Randall, what do you think? Randall, what do you think about the Raggedy Ann doll in the beginning? <laughs> it's my favorite performance. <laughs> that and the crow, obviously. When oh, the crow yeah. starts picking at the Raggedy Ann doll, I, I, which is beautifully shot, by the way. Thank I, you, Mick. I have a question. What do you think is better, um, the crow in the beginning of this movie or, or Brandon Lee in the crow? <laughs> <laughs> get, up, get the hell out of here uh, other things that I like in this um, I I actually I love the way that the cornfield like I initially it's something I kind of hated but I kind of like the the fact that the cornfield looks so fake uh, mm-hmm. there is sort of a like community theater stage quality to it that I think actually works kind of well in the realm of like it being a dream because no, it no, does the dream seem sequences, like it's really good yeah. wait what I I have some fun facts. Well, I was that gonna say the dreams. Oh, go for the it. Dream, the dream sequences it it works for me because that, yeah I don't mind that I, because they get that cool lighting in it and everything like that. Um, elsewhere, yeah, it can get a little cheesy though. And I I I, I love the actor that plays Dietz. I think that he is uh, the perfect mix of like. Oh, of yeah. like affable at first, but also sleazy, but then also really dangerous. And like they cast a guy who's like who's who's he's kind of like Vince Vaughn and Brawl at Cell Block ninety nine, where it's like he's not like ripped, but you can tell that he could like beat your ass, you know. And uh, and he's like I, I find him to be a very charismatic actor. Like rewatching this, I've seen this so many times, but rewatching it, I uh, I found. A kind of a newfound appreciation for his performance. So I liked a lot of things in it. Obviously, I, I I grew up on this thing, and I have a lot of fond feelings for it. But those were kind of some things that I think really stood out to me as uh, as as solid. And I think overall, though, I think that a lot of the different settings that we see, uh, from Queens to Arnett to Ogunkit, I think those settings are all really. I like distinct and you know and like when Ogunka popped up like Jen said uh she was like oh that's exactly how I pictured it in the book you know and um and so I think that there was a lot of really good location scouting a lot of good use of natural environments and especially you know those things which of course makes me think about the when Trash Can Man sees like the the wallpaper background city <laughs> like later yes it like it's such a stark contrast but uh, anyways, I mean it looks like are... a Windows 95 screen <laughs> So those are some well, things I, that yeah I really liked. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you said the thing about locations, Randall, because I actually feel like even with big budget miniseries nowadays, you don't get that kind of country traversing yeah. um, cinematography. Like I mean, honestly, most stuff that Watchmen is supposed to be in Oklahoma and they film it in Atlanta, I think, right, or in Georgia somewhere. And so it's um, it's interesting because I was just watching. I'm like, oh no, they really filmed this in New York. They really filmed this in Utah. They really filmed this in California. It's and it, I think it, it. I think that's why a lot of it does age well for me because it just looks better than a lot of other miniseries did at the time, and even better than some miniseries today. Well, I think they, they they shot it on sixteen millimeter film, which is kind of unheard of nowadays. Because now, I mean, when we get this new one, it's going to look like it's fucking shot on an iPhone or some shit like that. But like, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think with this one, it, it, it has a very classic, uh, not cinema verite. Uh, style to it but it, it, it definitely does feel <laughs> as if it is it's it, it feels like an old school film and there are a lot of parts in this movie that 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 speak um a little louder than the traditional sort of television miniseries even of its time i mean you look the thing that i will say about the plague which is the first part of this is that this has the highest i think this peaks in this in this chapter um and I think that it also has its lows. Like the the peak, obviously, is Stu escaping from 
the psychological this the, the the crazy fucking ward when he's you know he's locked up and everything i think that's still the best scene sequence in this entire fucking movie but agreed i think the lowest point agreed, yeah. the lowest point in this movie is also in this chapter and it's something that we've literally dedicated multiple chat threads uh, and text threads uh, to, <laughs> which is when Larry calls to Los Angeles and he's talking to his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I was just going to say something about that, Mike. Go ahead. Angie, no, yeah, you, Angie, that's her name, right? You I go think, for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You go for it, Mac, because like, this scene is so cringeworthy that it, it, it's so bad that like we literally just playing it and my girlfriend was on her phone playing uh, like on the couch. And she like looked up like during the scene, just being like, "Ah, like," and and like mind you, like almost two <laughs> hours of movie had gone through or gone by already, and this 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 scene is just so garish that it's just like, "Ah," and I and I don't blame Adam Stork for this because I actually so, I side with you, Caffrey, because I think he's actually like a pretty si- a solid actor, but this this the screenplay and the direction of this scene is just so, ugh. Mac, please take it away. I, I can't. Yeah, uh, so I was watching this scene again, and I was uh, laughing out loud when it came on because I, I remembered us talking about this for an hour probably last time. Um, but what's really funny is on, on IMDb, <laughs> if you pull up the Stan miniseries, on the right-hand side, it says top-rated episodes. <laughs> and the first one says The Plague, but it's a screenshot of Angie <laughs> on the phone. Or Arlene. Is it Arlene or Angie? I can't remember. What's her name? Is it Arlene? I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I, I just, I was dying laughing when I pulled it up because I was like, who the fuck? I was like, I thought it was like an ad for something else. <laughs> when, when, uh... But, but, but listen, but I will say there is one line in there, even though it's, it's, it's a poorly done scene in that sense, but there's one, the, the line when she starts talking about how the hospitals are filling up with sick people and LA is a really creepy place to be these days. That, that's, it's unsettling because of what's going on in the situation in the, in the, in the, in the um, miniseries. But yeah, that is that is just ridiculous. Well, but when, some, to, to to throw something on that real quick, Dan. Sorry uh, about the way that this was shot and the time at which it was shot. It's to me watching this now because it has this kind of this low quality to it, this TV quality to it. It feels like they're like the sequences that are shot um, with Ed Harris feel like it's shot with like a soap opera camera. Um, it yeah, feels like it's a different camera. It, you know yeah. what I mean? It does. And it, it really feels does. like yeah. it, it, it's 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 very strange. And I kind of like the choice of that. But there are just things in this movie that feel really like kind of gross because it feels like real, like they just kind of shot it. You know what I mean? With what they had. And I think that that's also something that kind of works in its to its advantage is that there are things that just feel way more lived in than 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 should. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, that's that sequence though. When he calls, I think the thing that gets me is that, and he's calling probably. I'm trying to think of where he's at. It's probably night, so it probably is day. But it seems like he, he's calling the club, and there's no one in the club. Do you know what I mean? But it's probably like yeah. in, you know the beginning of like the, before like the the night shift starts or whatever. But like, it always kind of feel felt weird to me because like he's still in like a you know like an area that's like still kind of hopping. There's people. You know, Ratman's playing video games with his friends. Like, <laughs> Ace, Ace High. Isn't that, isn't that Ace High? You know, like, Ace but it's strange high. when he calls her and and, the, and and it feels like it's already started. It's already kind of emptying well, out. 
I th- um, no, I think I think yeah. you're right though, Matt. Because in the in the book in that scene, she actually says, um, "Oh, it's it's like a it's supposed to be like a pool or a billiards club or something." And she's like, "Oh, and there's empty tables, and you know we never have empty tables." And so I think you're right. Like I think they were going for that spooky thing. But the thing we I can't remember. This is a few weeks ago before coronavirus had got horrible, and Randall was saying how he thought it was going to get really bad, and Justin was like, "No, no, no, I think you're overreacting." And remember, I like. I was like, oh, I'm imagining you got you guys as Larry and his West Coast girlfriend in that scene, <laughs> and like, and like, and like, and Randall being like, it's really scary over here, Justin. There's people that, that, that and then what is it? The uh, di- di- taking out for dinner, dancing, and all the paparazzi a girl can handle. Does that Ab Stork shows victory? Victory! <laughs> like he's fucking oh, Johnny yeah, Drama you guys, from Entourage. Do, is- uh, is he well no well my my question about the victory thing do you think he's referencing the end of masters of the universe <laughs> oh yeah sure yeah definitely it's um, getting really scary i like think out here, adam Larry. stork was pulling that uh what before we get more into the cringeworthy shit is there any other things that you guys want to highlight as like the high points of this 90 minutes I mean, we talked Absolutely. about the, C- the CDC got a couple sequence, of, of course. Um, I, I I like all the. I don't know, man. I feel like Molly Ringwald always gets a bad rap for her portrayal of Franny in this, and I don't. I think Franny is written kind of shrill in the book, even with all her strengths. I because I, everyone's like, oh, she always just kind of flips out in the movie, and I actually think that's in the script. And I really enjoyed the both the scenes with her and her dad. I I, I think they're actually both pretty moving. Um, but yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know how what, what y'all's feelings are on those. Yeah, I would agree. I think that um, I think that the first scene that you see Molly in, she's not great. But whenever it's just her and her dad, it's a lot better. Like when it's her and Harold, the scene you see between he and her, like uh, both of them, it's uh, that's not great because she doesn't have a great acting partner in Coronemic. Uh, but uh, we'll agree, <laughs> disagree on that. But I'll say that um, <laughs> the scene with her and her dad, because the guy who plays her dad is excellent. Like he's really, really good. Uh, and he, was, doing, he was on uh, like Family Matters, oh, yeah. from a bunch of uh, Doctor yeah, Kelso from like Scrubs. Yes. Ah, there yeah, you go. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. But he's, Love I think he's crowd. really quite good. And especially the scene where they're listening to the radio in bed and he's sick and he thinks that he's getting better. And, and then they listen to the, yeah, the radio and everything. That's that whole sequence is really, strong. that's pretty like, freaky. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, stuff yeah. with yeah. Kathy Bates's character. So, and I think that that's rendered really well. Yeah. I have a couple of questions on that Bring front for, for everybody. Ha- Ray flowers is not sick. Apparently not. Uh, no. So yeah, I think she would. You know, she immune, she yeah. obviously gets gunned down in the in the in the radio radio uh, studio or whatever. But I, I would have it would have been interesting to see like like those are the people I think about like all the people that that weren't sick or would have survived that were probably killed in the crisis. You know, like how many other doctors killed patients that were totally fine just because, you know, like Stu gets away. But you think about all the people that were healthy that just died because of what we were talking about earlier, the public reaction as opposed to the virus. Like that's that is kind of scary because I think Ray Flowers is pretty cool and it would have been cool to see Kathy Bates <laughs> in a little bit more of this. I do <laughs> like the cigarettes that yeah. killer at some point. I like that. I like that. Going back to your thing about the ensemble, I do love that they called in favors from some uh, big shot actors because I really do think it makes the acting ensemble that much stronger to see Ed Harris or Kathy Bates in, in roles that are well, pretty small, but they both do a great job at. And they're both like you know king favorites already. Like that whole the whole all of the scenes with Ed Harris are 
fucking great. Yeah. He's eating up the script. That line he gives when he says the the when they're talking about the virus being new, and he's like, <laughs> "It's a new one, all right, real new. It's a little too good at its job." I mean, like, you, there's no way it was written like that. You know what I mean? Like, it, it just like it's great that you have these these actors like pulling these things from the from the page onto the the screen in a way that's that's transcending for sure. But yeah, he's awesome in this. What about uh, uh, what who it, else? Who else is in it for like a heartbeat? Uh, well, my, uh, our boy Troy Evans. Uh, I don't know if I would call him an A-lister per se, but uh, he's uh, an A-lister in my heart. I think he's great. Uh, yeah, Vern. <laughs> oh, no, no, the uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I know him from uh, uh, Roger Predactor, Ace Ventura, and of course uh, from Halloween. Charlie. Yeah, Charlie. 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 Roger Predactor. That is one of the names yeah. that just sticks <laughs> with me. That's right. That's right. But well, him, 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 him and Doc Soames, I think, I, I think you don't really get to see a lot as much of Show You Arkansas as you do in the book with uh, Nick Andrews. But I think having both of them in those small roles that just lets me know what this town is like. I feel like they, they get that. They, they nail that King folksiness. Uh, yeah. Really well. I lo- love seeing those guys. Well, that's my, my next thing was, do you think that I think a lot of these actors are like really great character actors. And, and if like the entire cast is kind of full of this, do you think that it's a credit to the miniseries or do you think that it, it feels too caricature? Like every person is kind of the perfect person to play well i i know that randall you were saying some people are miscast and i agree but like just down to like to ray and the jail um you know like everyone everyone has like is almost like over the top version they're all very they're all like archetypes for sure definitely and they're all chewing it yeah oh absolutely and that my thing though is like i think this is best watched when you're young and you're not really picking it apart because like i know when i was a kid like these people and these performances like stuck with me and i you know i'm a little obviously i'm a little you know nostalgic about it but i feel like that was the right move because you know if you know if you're an adult watching like uh, this mini series on tv uh, you know and when you could be going to see like speed in the theaters like speed. it's not gonna compare <laughs> You know what I'm saying, though? Like, it's not going <laughs> to compare. And that was years before this came out. So, like, this is really probably geared more towards a younger audience anyways. Um, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I think, don't know because I a, lot so. of, a lot of them weren't. Because, like, mean, Gary like, teen, Sinise like, wasn't teens. that famous. Yeah, yet. teens, yeah. Like, like Gary Sinise wasn't. I'm not talking about, like, eight-year-olds. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm trying right. to think. Like, Gary Sinise wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't super famous yet. The the one, no, that, the one that sticks out. Excuse me, but this came out in May of 1994. I believe there was a movie uh, that starred uh, coronavirus uh, uh, victim survivor, survivor, survivor <laughs> whatever you want to call him, survivor. Uh, Tom Hanks uh, called Philadelphia. No, I'm just joking. Uh, Forrest, Forrest Gump. Gump. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wait, what, what was first? They came out like right near, right around, like within like a month of each other, I think, because Forrest Gump was July 1994, and when was The Stand? The stand was uh, May of uh, ninety four. So, so this this would have so this would have predated for uh, Forrest. Gump. Yeah. So when people went I, to go see Forrest Gump, they're like, "Hey, there's Stu Redman." I remember I saw Forrest Gump, and I was like, "Oh shit, it's it's Stu from the Stand." I mean, like, I think the most famous people people in it at this time. I mean, there's Molly Ringwald and and uh, Rob Lowe, but they were they were considered kind of washed up by that point. That was like sort of 
a gamble ca- gambit casting. I think honestly, I feel like the most famous people are like the ones we mentioned, and like Kareem Abdul Jabbar, which that 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 one does stick out like a sore thumb for me a little bit. Just he because gets top billing. I know that. I was just gonna bring that up. <laughs> when he's like he's so tall and he's just such a presence you know what i mean i don't even think he's bad in it necessarily it just takes me out of, that's the one that takes me out of it a little bit when when i when i watch it um i mean max Wright, i recognize as the dad from alf but i, I don't know I, I i i should ask my parents because i remember they watched it live like if this seemed Whoa. like it was like an all-star cast or something else I think I think Parker Lewis can't lose was already on, so I think Corin Nemec was on. The hey man, <laughs> I'm I'm looking at that uh, the you know you know the poster they have where it has like the pictures of everyone below it, and Corin Nemec he's yeah, like the yeah. fourth or fifth bill in there, and for good reason. Uh, Parker Lewis <laughs> Parker Lewis can't lose. Per, perhaps the freaks of this generation. Well, yeah. you know the guy who played uh, the guy who played Doc Soames is the guy who I always envisioned <laughs> yes. as playing Leland Gaunt. That's right. how I've always imagined Leland Gaunt. So we were watching, you know. We were watching this first part on Sunday. Uh, it was a great afternoon, which I realized that I'm uh, I haven't left my apartment in over a week, and then I've been I'm going to be stuck here for at least two more months. And I said to Sammy, I said, you know, Randall envisioned <laughs> Leland Gaunt as this kind old doctor, uh, and 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 in my head, I'm like, what a fucking idiot and crazy delusional <laughs> because he is no no way Leland Gaunt. <laughs> Leland, Leland Gaunt is the late Max von Sydow who died before he had to, to live through this fucking bastard era. <laughs> um, but but you, but but it's funny. So so I mentioned this, and Sammy sits there and she goes, "I could see it. I think she, I think he'd be a good Boom. Leland Gaunt." So Boom. so you have someone your on face. your team. You don't have me. But In your you have, face. Yeah. Yeah. I love um, that Mike's Mike's own private hell is being told that Doc Soames <laughs> slash slash the dinosaur guy from Mrs. Doubtfire. That's what I always Leland think of. God, and he can't he can't he can't handle it. I think of I think of him as like so, the lowest fucking common denominator to, to host a television show because of of Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, <laughs> now, granted, we're about we're about an hour and thirty minutes into this part one dissection of the stand. I am about a quarter of the way through the Jameson bottle that I started before I did this episode. So I apologize to all the constant <laughs> listeners out there if you're sitting there going, well, wow, me- he's slurring his words. Uh, but on that, it's been a long day. It's been a long time in this apartment. I haven't seen any of the constant, uh, not constant. I haven't seen any of the losers on this on this episode. Uh, Randall I've seen for five minutes uh, about two weeks ago. So if I sound a little nutty, I apologize. But, you know, hey. I think uh, we're all a little nutty. We're a little nutty. Mike, you know. So another thing that I really liked, <laughs> I don't know what the segue is there, but another thing I really liked was um, how that goes directly into that Flu Buddy commercial, and it feels so real. I know. <laughs> the Flu yeah. Buddy thing really bothered watching me. It. I remember watching it. The what? Flu Buddy commercial really bothered me because it was like this sort of like ignorance to like the actual reality of it that like – it got under my skin in in ways that it hadn't before. <laughs> You're the only person that like it really had an effect. It did to. because it, it just Probably. feels so like, well, yeah, take this and you'll be okay. But like, no, that's not the case at all. Like you're fucked regardless. And like this yeah. funny punchy commercial of a guy fucking breakdancing next to like fucking, you know, the, the flu buddy CGI flu buddy thing is bullshit. But yeah, that's so true. It is. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's exactly what, what 
Like, of course, companies are going to try to, like, capitalize on yeah. it. Like, buy this. You'll be okay. And the thing I love about that, though, and, and I think, like, this is lost on a lot of people unless you have, like, Hulu and are watching things with ads. Like, it, when I remember watching this live, like, on the, on the recorded version, I just thought it was, like, commercial break. And then all of a sudden, you know, it really was shot like a commercial back then. Yeah, know? we like, had the same. Yeah, and the so same kind of I didn't. I, I thought we were like now in a commercial break, and this was not the the show. And then obviously, even after the flu buddy thing, it just you're like, oh wow, like ha ha ha. But um, kudos to Mick Harris for uh, fooling me back then when I was 11. <laughs> um, another thing I want to mention, I think, is important <laughs> to mention. Joe Bob. Yes. We got oh, yeah, Joe, Joe Bob. Bob. Who is oh, literally yes. named we Joe Bob. We have to mention Joe Bob. <laughs> Which, that, that's from the book, too. <laughs> I know, I, thought I know. They, it's I great. thought they did that just for the miniseries, but reading the book, that character's name is Joe Wait, Bob. Wait, really? So, yeah, King had some some foresight. Wow. Uh, I think that's great. Also, guys, I didn't really... Sorry, I'm, I just looked up Flu Buddy, and this is a little bit of a spo- spoiler alert for part four. I never realized this. The drug addict that they crucify in part four is on a flu buddy billboard. I never noticed oh, that. Oh wow! Oh. Yeah, sorry, it's yeah. great. Sorry, hey, you learn something new every day. But uh, yeah, no, his name is Joe Bob. Yeah, but and he, what do you guys think of his acting skills? I think he's pretty good in this. <laughs> he's a good old boy. He's <laughs> fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it's one of those moments. I feel like there's the the levity where he's like. Well, you don't have to be so mean, and da, da 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 da. And then you see like the 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 armies like right there, like with the guns to her. You know, like when he's on the on the radio call. I feel like it's it's like watching the thing that about the beginning of this movie is watching everybody just be normal. It, yeah. It's like you know that these are the last bits of normalcy we're gonna see ever. So it's like it's really kind of this weird, sweet sense of like. You, you you almost like all these people more than you should because you know what's you know as a viewer what's going to be happening soon, even if you don't even if you've never seen the show before you know after watching that opening sequence of all those dead people in the compound that these people are going to die. Uh, so I I I I I think his I think him being in it and now I, I, this is after is this after uh, he was already hosting the show and everything. Yeah, because be, right? he's been yeah he's been doing that since the eighties. So do you think that he yeah did I they mean, cast him because his name is Joe Bob or did they cast him because they were like oh wow Joe Bob this guy is hosting horror movies nonstop let's get him. Well, he was friends with King, right? Wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I think he was friendly with yeah. them. I, I think that they definitely knew who he was and his persona in the horror community and had to get him in there probably. Mike, when yeah, you just, Mike, when you interviewed him, didn't he say he had a death scene that was filmed? He he talked about a lot of things in the interview. Um, a lot of which I can't remember at this current moment when we're recording. But um, <laughs> you can revisit. I feel it. like he. Re- I feel like he talked about how he like he had to get in death and like death makeup and no, everything. No, no, no. Actually, no, no. You're right. He did have. Uh, he did have to get into makeup, and then they actually didn't even use the scene. He also talked right. about how. Uh, on set, they had a briefcase that had a phone that went directly to Stephen King, which is pretty amazing. Um, so, like, yeah, but I, I was it like, was it red? Was it like the bat phone? <laughs> yeah, it was like the bat phone. They were like, uh, hey, Stephen, um, we're going to change this up. Campion's going to live and he's going to save the day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the thing with Joe Bob that I love about like, like. Let, let's just see what we have right here. Okay, so we he dri- he drives up at the gas station. And mind you, we're an hour and 30 minutes into this episode of part one, and we're still talking about the gas station. But um, <laughs> he drives to the gas station. He sees what's going on. He leaves. 
did we really do we really need to see a death scene with Joe Bob the sheriff like it seems so ludicrous to me that they actually filmed a fucking scene with the like of him dying well no I think because I think what they were trying to do is they were trying to show like just because you're a good person or like likable character or like a good guy that you're not you're you're fair game like uh, that's why I like that death scene of his of uh, Stu's friend in the hospital as like and crazy as it is you know when Dietz are watching it's like it's yeah and they're just kind of like and they're so nonchalant about it like this is it's so damn weird and, and just like they don't even it's like they don't even care they're just on a different level of like it it, it it's a scary thing so I think that it, it maybe it would have been a little effective my thought is like maybe maybe we would have seen the death scene of that character when they're kind of doing the montage of like the riots and like when Ray flowers gets killed and all that stuff. Like maybe we just see like some of the people and from, from, from our net that are just like, they're also dead now. Like that, that is a ghost town. Um, or like, you know, when, uh, when Ed Harris's character, when Starkey's talking about like, we need to like dig a moat around that town and like get rid of it. And, you know, I just, I just watched the, uh, the remake of the crazies the mm. other day i'd never seen it before oh, it's good. Uh, i've like seen it. the original um but uh yeah I, I enjoyed it but i also think i think of that and return of the living dead and how both those movies spoiler alert if you haven't seen return of the living dead turn back now uh <laughs> has everybody here seen return of the living Love dead? return of the living dead i haven't but i don't yeah, know yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> you gotta bomb these towns okay you gotta <laughs> bomb these towns right out the gate um but yeah, I, I think that I think what they were trying to do with that whole in, uh, sequence uh, that they probably cut with uh, with him is just showing that like it doesn't matter if you're good, doesn't matter if you're if you're bad. Like this thing's gonna get you, and you know it. It, it only only God chooses who lives. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're losing Mac now. Let's uh, let's talk about. We talked a little bit about our most cringeworthy moments. We talked about uh, the scene with Larry in the arcade, which it can't be that bad because we get the classic Ratman line. The classic Ratman line. Uh, Ratman, forgive you this time. It is seared into the memory of pop culture. It is such a perfect moment. But what else? I would say for me, um, the scene where... And the thing is, like, it's it's set up so weird. Like, we, we meet Nick Andros. We actually don't even really learn that he can't hear yeah. or speak because he's just on the road. Like, yeah, he doesn't hear the guys when they're beating him up and they ask why he's not talking. But we're not, like, aware yet that he's a deaf mute. And so, um, so it's, uh, it's, so, you know, it's like, it's weird that the first thing we go to there is that's the first time we see a dream with Mother Abigail. And what's so freaking funny about it is that... Uh, Rob Lowe gets to deliver this line. Here it is being interpreted by my wife. Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> Sorry. Just bring her out and do it again. Headphones are still on. I was like, no. that was really insensitive. She just didn't say anything. Was no, 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 no. My, I have it on tape, and my headphones, my my headphones were still were still Bluetooth connected. Um, hold on, I'm bringing it up right here. Okay, okay. Here we go. I can hear. I can talk. <laughs> 
Sorry, that took so much setup. <laughs> it is. I, I had that thought too, and I actually really, I really enjoy Ravelo's performance as Nick Andrews. But I did think it was weird that we haven't really, we haven't gotten to be with him not talking before we I know. talk, which should be a, exactly. It's so, strange, it's so yeah. weird. And I, I actually almost, think. I actually think Nick. I think Rob Lowe is by far the worst casting. Like, really, I like he Rob is, Lowe. In this. He is so wrong for this role. But he's so like, hot. I mean, Rob Lowe's coming off of a huge fucking sex tape controversy at the time, and and also <laughs> Wayne's World. Well, hadn't he done Wayne's he, World? He is so. I will say when I read Nick Andros in the stand, granted I'd already seen the miniseries, so I immediately thought of Rob Lowe. But let's just say that like little Mike Rothman hadn't seen miniseries Stan and thought like, well, what does Nick Randers look like? I probably wouldn't imagine him looking like fucking peak era, hot as fuck <laughs> Rob Lowe. Like there's no way. Like it's not even like he, it's funny because they try to like give him like this sort of like, um, um, simple Jack look of like having him like with like the, you know, the, 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 the <laughs> shitty hairstyle that he has, the dumb overalls. Like, they're like, all right, well, whatever. You're trying to make him not look like Rob Lowe, but like, who are you fooling? Like, he is so fucking gorgeous. Like, Rob Lowe is like a, like, he's like chiseled from, like, if you had a block that came in, it was shipped to you from FedEx and they opened it up and you're like, oh, what is this? Who sent me this? And you don't know who sent it because it's irrelevant, but you saw what the item is and the item says perfection and they chiseled from it. That is Rob Lowe. Like he is so fucking like okay. perfect. No, I'm not. That's okay. not even hyperbole. Mike, he's so, so gorgeous. Some, and like, and he's, somebody throw a bucket of cold water on Mike. But it's true though. Like, it doesn't matter what Rob Lowe does. Like, I think this is like a perfect example of like the Hollywoodized of like of of stars of like A listers or B listers or whatever the fuck it but was. But let me ask you this: He's he's. Mike he doesn't look like Nick Andrus in this. Is there anywhere? Is there anywhere in the book that says he's not Rob Lowe? <laughs> yeah, where they go. Uh, Nick Andrus strolls up to the bar, uh, ready to hang out in this small town after hitchhiking. Uh, doesn't look like Rob Lowe. That's that- I, okay. <laughs> okay, this is Mike after he sees Rob Lowe for the first time. I can hear. I can talk. <laughs> <laughs> Like don't don't, but don't you agree that like they try to make him look like lousy, but he doesn't. Like he he, he looks like literally like, wow, well, cool, think... you're handsome. The thing that strikes me the most about Rob Lowe in that first sequence when he gets attacked is his is how lackadaisical yeah. he is when he kicks that guy in the crotch. <laughs> you guys notice that? Oh yeah, yeah. We, he we just, cracked up at it that. It seems so choreographed. He's just, he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's so good. To smack him. <laughs> um, okay, so that that's my cringe thing is pretty much anything with Rob. Lowe so you don't like Rob Lowe part. in the stand? Oh no, I like him better when you get him with with uh, Tom Cullen. Um, but, yeah. I, I agree but uh but in these scenes i think it's rough even though these are the scenes that i think are i don't know i actually i actually quite like the scene when the doctor is trying to get um nick to go up to the cabin with him uh and he's like why yeah. are you taking care of these people yeah. they're all good as dead all of that i actually think and hey a great uh a great performance from doc Soames, who would have been a great leland <laughs> gaunt in needful thing here's a question here's a question i actually thought about while uh watching this is is Doc Soames immune, at least in this incarnation of the stand? 
Well, who no, killed? No, how is he dead? He gets killed by the bully that looks like the guy who breaks the the glass in, in the mouth of madness. Well, all right. So I was trying to I was trying to remember this, yeah, because he gets killed by the bully in this. But uh, sorry, I know I keep saying, oh, I'm rereading the book. But so re- rereading the book, the non special edition, Nick just finds uh, Doc Soames in his car in a ditch, dead, and it's implied he got the flu. And he actually doesn't see Ray Booth at, at all. Uh, they, they actually don't even arrest Ray Booth. Ray Booth skips town beforehand, and they don't have the scene where he attacks Nick. But I'm trying to remember, in the uncut version that came out, Ray Booth does come back, right? He attacks Nick in the basement or yeah. something. And and do you see Soames dead in a different way in that scene? Because, uh, yeah, because it, it was I weird. Remember. I feel like King made some changes between between the two different editions. That I don't remember. Do you think that like when yeah, exactly. when King was writing the script, I don't remember that being like I, it's where's Ray Booth. I don't I don't remember all that stuff being from the uncut edition, but I guess it was. Sorry, what were you saying? Wait, it's because you are currently reading the regular version of the stand. Um, yeah, I just I finished the regular version last oh, night, and it did. didn't have like in the regular version. Ray Booth, they don't arrest Ray Booth like because they, they, they uh, he skips town beforehand. Oh wow! And Nick just leaves town after the Bakers die. And he finds Doc Soames' car in the ditch. So they don't have that whole scene where Doc Soames talks to him on the bench and, talk, and talks to him about um, what's going on in the town or anything like that. So it's weird because I, I from what I remember in the uncut version is that Ray Booth does kill Doc Soames. And then he does. that's what happens in the series also. Well, that, yeah, that, that, so that seems I, it, odd it weird, too because yeah. like, it's actually kind of creepy to think because I wonder if he had already been working on the script by the time he was doing the expanded version of the book because – because this was around the same yeah. time that the expanded one yeah because like looking at like our timeline of what we were supposed to be discussing chronologically um the expanded version of the stand is it is is fairly like where we are currently uh chronologically um with the books so it makes me think like well he might have been kicking around the idea of the script for the stand at that point like or at least starting to work on it because that seems like such a niche um, you know, niche is the right word, but like a specific s- scene to include in the books. Like, why why do we need to have Doc Soames talking to Nick Andros in the book? Like, that doesn't. It seems so superfluous without actually considering um, his role in the movie. Um, yeah, exactly. When that, and that's what's weird in the in the and there's many things I like about the older version better, but felt weird. Soames's character felt weird rereading it because all he does essentially is he checks. Uh, John, he like examines John Baker and talks, gives Nick some info, but then he's not in it again. That feels, yeah, that feels strange. Like why, why have him in there if he's not going to come back or, and honestly, why even have Ray Booth in there if Ray Booth just gets away scot-free? I mean, um, yeah, so it's kind of strange. Who's the actor who plays him in the miniseries? I, I like that guy a lot, actually. Ray, Ray Booth, I mean. Uh, um, I don't know. I'll look it up. Uh, although he does. Is it Cornemic? Corne- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You love Cornemic. Cornemic is so fucking good yeah, that they had him up on roles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, what other what other cringe moments stand out for you guys? Man, I'm trying to think. We talked about the. Uh, I mean, I, part I really like part one a lot, I, and I think it, and and like Mike said, I think it's actually the part of the book that's the strongest too. Just watching the world fall apart. I mean, the biggest one for me is that phone call between Larry and the the cocktail waitress. Um, <laughs> I it's not it's not cringeworthy to me at all. It, it's it's actually kind of an upsetting scene, but it. it once again, I don't know the military being really rough with people. It's like always, it just makes me think of South Park. Like when when they're when they're getting Stu and his friends out of their houses, and Norm Brewitt like tries to fight back and just gets socked by the by the soldiers. There's just something very melodramatic and funny about that to me. It's not even shot poorly. It's actually a pretty sad scene, but like 
I because I, I just think of like oh my god like if uh, if soldiers were patrolling my street I just imagine acting like that like you can't be here and then just like butting me <laughs> in the stomach with their rifle I, I, I don't know it's like when Nelson so, Muntz punches Dan, someone on the Simpsons um, I don't know. Yeah. so two thing two things Dan on on that on the uh, soldier front which is funny in a sense I guess. I, I mean, it's I, not, I, I feel horrible this, saying it's that. It's like not really funny, but <laughs> well, no. But I, I'm bringing this back to our quarantine thing really quickly before getting back um, to the stuff we don't like. I'm watching that scene now, and I'm like, oh yeah, totally do all this because had it, this is how they should be containing this thing, especially if it's that deadly. Like you know, you're watching it and you're like, oh, this is awful. They're just pulling these people out of their homes. Da da da. They're dead already. They don't know that people are just like immune to it like Stu. You know what I mean? Like that's why I was saying earlier where I was like, if they knew that this virus was out there and it was it had a 99.9% communicability and it, it, you were dead immediately. But it's weird because they don't tell the soldiers that and they don't tell the doctors that. Like even the doctors that are like studying it, like Dietz and all these guys, they're they're out there in 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 masks. Like there's a newswoman that says at some point she's interviewing someone on TV in the in the the first part, and she's like talking to this guy, and he has a mask on, like everybody's wearing these days out in the out in the real world. And they're like, oh yeah, those masks, like honestly, they they're not they don't really work. They don't really do anything. But people are just wearing them because they feel safer in them, and that's kind of scary. But like, yeah, I, I I watch those military scenes and I'm like, yeah, if if they told the military that this was out there and this was actually happening, like this would be the response probably. And as scary as it is, like that that's what they yeah. had to do. Unfortunately, they were too late. You know what I mean? They were just too late. Th- and they kind of remind, that's what reminded me of the crazies is that they go in, they don't tell the town anything, and they just kill everybody. And as awful as that is, if that's how you contain it and save the rest of the entire planet. I don't know. I don't know. I was kind of like on the fence of that this time when I was watching it, which is sad that, to have to be thinking about those kinds of things these days. But yeah, it's kind but of But I crazy. think it's fair um, because if you think about like the situation you're at, I mean, go back to Starkey when I was talking about before um, you know, three hours ago when we were talking about um, the initial scene of Ed Harris sitting in the room. There's, there's a sort of um, cynicism, but there's a logic to it of just like, okay, we know that this is a 98 plus percentage of transference and that this is going to get out and that the the stakes are higher than ever like why not be as dour and and as as uh, imperialistic as possible to save lives i mean like we look at it on the onset and we're like we, and we obviously have to see the point of view of Stu because you know he's the main character he's wearing the white shirt and jeans um so obviously he's a protagonist in a stephen king novel and we have to assume that like all right well whoever's not steve is gonna be the bad guy but you're kind of right mac like i mean like if you're thinking about like max right like you kind of have to be as stern as an authoritarian as an authoritarian as possible because like the stakes are so high i mean like the the virus has gotten so far out like if you don't act like that you are going to get people that kind of weasel or weed through the the the, you know if it's if there's some sort of permeable um uh force that's that that's coming into town like people are going to get through and like the virus is going to get out. Like I kind of sympathize with like the military here because like if you don't act this way, like the virus is going to get like out even further, but it doesn't No, I mean at that point it's fucking you're, you're screwed. It's over. 
it's too but what late. are you supposed to at do at that point it's too late you know like what would what would you want them to do I, I guess that's the question for me it's like do you want them to just allow people to like be with their family when they die or do you want them <laughs> or do you want to try to contain it i mean that's that's like the real the realistic question here it's like do you act like the nice guy and just let everyone stay in their homes and die with their family? Or do you still try to act as if you can have some sort of self-righteousness and contain it? Like, I, I, I don't, I don't think there's a real answer to it, but I don't think there's any right or wrong to like what's actually being displayed on screen. Um, so, well, to so segue real quick. Ray Booth, oh, Ray sorry. Booth was played yeah, by I, I, Patrick <laughs> Kilpatrick. What a name. This guy has worked Whoa, a that's lot. That's cool. And okay, that's he, a cool name. That's and this guy awesome has name. worked a lot and he uh he he was uh this wasn't his first king. He was in a dark uh Tales from the Dark Side episode Strange Love, a king one, playing Dr. Philip Carroll. So how about that? Ah. Also, and <laughs> hey, Mike <laughs> will jump on board with this. He played he's 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 this character named Not. He's one of the one of the crew that uh, Tom Cruise is working with in Minority Report that goes after ah, him. Ah, it is. It is, yeah. He's, oh, wait. He's, yeah, yeah. I was wrong. The episode he was in was not written by Stephen King, but it was included in a VHS compilation of five Tales from the Dark Side episodes that was called Stephen King's Golden Tales, but it only contained one Stephen King <laughs> Uh, <laughs> episode, which was word <laughs> processor of the gods. So, so an, an a, a sort of a, an adjacent Stephen King connection. I like that. If, but hey, I like that if you yeah. look at the, the stand on Wikipedia and you and you see like who directed the episodes and who ri- wrote the episodes, they have a link uh, to Stephen King as written by, as if like you're like, oh, who's this guy? <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, I think let's start winding down uh, this episode on part one of the shield. Uh, the shield. <laughs> the shield. Let me let me let me hold on real quick. Uh, if we're gonna start doing a shield podcast, we need to start uh, all over. By the no, way, this is uh, episode eight of my halt and catch fire uh, podcast called Mutiny uh, Mutiny Manor. Uh, no, I was literally I was literally on this guy's page and he wasn't in the shield but i saw the word shield in one of the things and i've been watching oh, wow. the shield yeah. so it's just in my head where, where Anyways, are you currently at in your shield watch uh we're a few episodes into season five Ooh. it's a very good season so um so yeah i guess like maybe final final thoughts on on part one of the stand <laughs> uh where do you guys stand with it dan let's start with you <laughs> Are we are we doing official ratings or are we no? Just let's not do yet? official ratings. Let's just kind of say like you know, uh, how does it feel on this current rewatch, especially in this climate? It's funny because I was thinking about what you all were saying before about if they released the CBS one right now, you think it would do well because humans are, are fucked up. We like to watch car crashes, and I, and I think that's true to an extent. The reason I reread the book and revisited this. Um, even before we we had decided to do these episodes was because two things there there's something comforting about seeing a story where people are going through a similar thing as the world you know it just i think it just feels like there's connection and also as we point out captain trips is a much worse thing than coronavirus so it did have this weird effect on me of okay it's not that bad 99.6 percent of the population is going to die and be sent to a holy war, um, even though we don't know that yet <laughs> in, in, in this episode, um, be- between each other. So it does give you some perspective. 
And then honestly, I think because of the nostalgia factor tied to it, because it was had a lot to do with my introduction to King, because it has a lot to do with my friendships. It just I just always feel good watching it, and I still think this first episode holds up really well. I mean, there's a couple cheesy moments here and there, but of the four, I think this one really does stand the test of time. So yeah, it, it felt great and reassuring watching it is what I'll say. Nice, Mac. Uh, no, yeah, I I I've seen this a a billion times and honestly when we talked about doing this again i wasn't thrilled <laughs> but i was re- but why re-watching it though throwing it on i was immediately into it i was watching it i wasn't like doing other things i was like i was really watching it and i was noticing things i hadn't noticed the first time which is always really fun i think that this always has something to offer it's it's so long it's, was it six hours the whole thing roughly uh, yeah it, it yeah it, it's just Again, for me, it's kind of like, you know, Mike always says that Halloween is like a comfort watch for him. Watching this does remind me of simpler times. You know, 94 was like, nothing was going on. (laughs) Nothing was going on, you know? Like, I mean, 94, 95, was I a fourth grade or some shit? Like, ultimately, it's a comfort watch for me. I really love it. It's kind of when I started to really get into film and... um. And I just, I just remember, like, I, like, I knew who Gary Sinise was, and I was like really getting excited about just all that stuff, all, all of these things, and and horror was like a huge thing with bonding with with Justin and watching this, and uh, but there were things that I noticed this time that I want to mention before, uh, which was like Campion's neck is actually really swollen in the beginning, which is like the tube neck, which I thought I'd never really noticed that, but because it, it's shot weirdly, his neck's craned. But his left side, his right side of the, or no, left side of his neck's like swollen, which I thought was cool. Uh, we didn't really talk too much about Corin Nemec this time. Yeah, but just be one scene. Of Corin, there'll be plenty of Corin in the future. But I will. I want to ask this question. Ultimately, I like this episode a lot. I think this part is like solid. There are some cheesy moments, but for the most part, I think it's extremely effective and still really effective today. But the one question I want to ask before uh, we move on to the next person is <laughs> Goran Nimic, Harold, says that he wants to take uh, he wants to take her to an Ingmar Bergman fest. But she says that she has tickets to go see R.E.M. in oh. concert, which would have been the monster tour. Would you have rather seen the Ingmar Bergman fest or gone to see R.E.M.? Doing the monster oh, are you tour, kidding, baby. Uh, not, monster tour all the way. Oh. What's the frequency, Kenneth? REM monster all the way. And I thought I wrote that. I'm trying to write down like poignant songs and music moments in this because I, I want to make a playlist at the end of this. Monsters, uh, REM's monster. We'll be picking a song from Monster. We don't know yet which one, but it will be on the playlist for <laughs> the stand. What's the frequency, Corin? And no. um, I'm not sad. But that is my uh, that is my take on this. I, I, I still love it. I, I mean, obviously, we, we, we could talk about it to death, but um, I'm excited for the next few um, and the rewatches. Uh, Mike? Look, I'm going to be watching The Stand until I'm like 80 years old or the coronavirus kills me. So, like, I, I love this miniseries. I have a lot of thoughts and a lot of criticisms that aren't in this part so much, but... Mostly in uh, chapters three and four, especially, um, that I'm going to really get into when I'm uh, uh, far more sober and far more, um, uh, I take far more notes. But 
<laughs> where we're at right now in episode one, it hooks me now still. 26, almost 26 uh, you know, you know, years after it premiered on ABC. And I th- still think this is riveting uh, television. I still think that Mick Garris is uh, uh, soaring uh, over source material that's really hard to adapt uh, to the point where um, even before this, I think the studios were like demanding that Stephen King make a two-hour movie, which is fucking absurd. Um, but this is still great. I don't have a lot of criticisms of this uh, first chapter. I think like when you watch the stand overall, you know, even now in 94 or now, I think a lot of the stuff that you see here is chilling and especially now in what we're experiencing with coronavirus. So I'm, I'm all on board. I can't wait to see uh, what's, uh, what's going to follow um, in the dreams. Uh, hopefully, I, I, I get it. Hopefully, I get. Uh, uh, you know what's gonna fall. You know what comes. I ho- hopefully, I get some. Uh, You've seen it I, Hopefully, a lot. I get some denim-clad dreams, uh, and not so much uh, some corn. But uh, either way, that's a good I'm way. Wait, that's... Children of the corn, corn. Ooh, cornemic. You're really like ah, cornemic oh. fan club. Corn. That's 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 Dan's that's Dan's spinoff podcast. Although he's a uh, his his Twitter is a little condescending. I don't know if I like it. Very yeah, much. I think I think we were recently talking about his Twitter because it relates to. Uh, yeah, politics. we did stumble across the Coronemic Twitter the other day. Uh, so let's. I'll, I'll wrap it up. I'll just. I'll. I'll read what my wife thought. Um, <laughs> what. What part worked? I asked her. She said the Franny storyline. Uh, the stew through line were probably the most on par with the book, she said. Um, and she liked the New York stuff with Larry because uh, she said it was very over the top and a lot of fun. Um, but so I asked, what did you hate? And she said, the Nick stuff sucks. Rob Lowe is not right at all. And he's over emoting and it's really cringe. <laughs> and then I said, uh, what? I said, what actors did you like? She said she liked Gary Sinise, although she didn't like him at first because I said, after, like, his first couple of scenes, I was like, what do you think of Stu? And she's like, ah, he's a cheese ball." But then he grew on her. And then Molly grew on her, too. And then uh, I said, what actors were the worst? And she said, Rob Lowe and Larry. But she also liked Larry because he was entertaining. Um, but I, I, but she did say that it did, um, that it did, uh, you know, cause a little bit of anxiety and uneasiness in her to watch it, which was interesting to me. But for her, I remember when she first tried to read the book, she basically put it down during the first part and uh, didn't pick it up again for a long time. I had to kind of nudge her to do it because it really just the mass death and the pandemic and everything was uh, very anxiety triggering for her, which I totally understand for me. Um, I don't know. It's like I, this, this whole thing is so tied with childhood for me. And I, and this is, I guess what it's fun. Like when, when, all of when any one of you and I will quote a really innocuous line from a movie, uh, like not even a line that's supposed to be funny, just like, like we'll quote lines from Tommy Boy, like where, where like uh, Rob Lowe shows up at the door and then Tommy's like, he's like, brother, and he's like, I'm, I'm Paul. Paul, and like we'll just. We'll just say that, and it's like we laugh, you know. And it's like there's moments from like we when we were talking about the stand recently, and I think I I asked you, Dan. I'm like, doesn't Max Wright like make a joke about how the drinks are on Uncle Sam or something, you know? And then we 
<laughs> I hear it right away. Yeah, it's like, like when it drinks from Uncle Sam, of course. I know, and it's like you hear the line in your head. And then we started, like, me and Justin and Mac and, and Dan were sending little videos of us just saying lines like, like uh, we will, Stu, from, like, you know, earlier. And then just various other, like, Stephen King's lines at the end when it's like... Well, we did, just, I just, just kept making up... Did I just did Larry's Larry's mom like like yeah. you back ma? It pains me some, but I have my pills. It's just yeah. not like a funny line at all. Like, and I did this made up line that Stu gives where he says, "I don't know, Franny. Maybe it wasn't meant to last." <laughs> my, my my favorite line from see, <laughs> my favorite line from the the miniseries is when uh, he turns over to the guy who looks like future Ralph uh, Brenner, and he's like. You got any uh, cough uh, cough drops in that gas station of yours? <laughs> <laughs> so, but I guess this is like, in a weird way though, it's stuff like that, which is why I think I have such an affection for this stand because I watched it so much when I was young. And when I was growing up, like nobody else I knew liked it or watched it. You know, it wasn't until like, I, I, you know, I eventually met a few people here and there, but it was like when I met you guys, the fact that like I can talk to you about a six hour miniseries and quote the most innocuous lines and we all laugh and we all get it. It's like that to me is sort of in a weird way. Um, uh, what, what sort of like brings me a lot of joy and comfort about the stand. But I also associate it with one of the things that got me into Stephen King who's one of my favorite authors, but it's also been a huge inspiration for me just as a writer. And I probably wouldn't be writing as much if it wasn't for Stephen King. And this was sort of the beginning of my Stephen King journey. So, so in a weird way, I, I kind of associate all of that with this miniseries. And I remember watching it, like sitting cross-legged on my living room floor by myself, like so excited that there was, you know, three more parts of this and that there were two whole videotapes like this was so much content and i was so excited about that when i was young because i just i hadn't discovered things like this you know and um and it's the sort of thing my parents never would have rented it was just ended up in my house one day and it was very serendipitous in that way so so yeah i don't know it's like i watch it and and i totally understand like watching it and it being really cheesy like if you've never watched it growing up or anything but there is something about the way that it that it's so it makes such an accessible and uh smart adaptation of of a really hard to adapt book that is really sprawling and epic and it does actually especially in this first part does a really nice job of sort of setting the table and ushering you in and so uh so yeah, um, I mean, uh, so overall, even think of it, things, think of yeah. it as a first episode. Like, I mean, like, where, look where it ends. He leaves. Yeah. He leaves the you know the the hospital. It is such a good hook. Beautiful right? shot. Like, too. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I I don't think it's hyperbole to say like that. This is a peak in a sense because, for me, it's like all right. Well, this is going to be the selling point. This is going to be when you had to get people to go. All right, I want to dedicate three more fucking chapters to this, and. You know, at a time in the early 90s, it was kind of unprecedented to be able to get people to kind of tune in to these sort of event televisions because there's just so much going on at the time. And, um, you know, TV was such a secondary medium to like film and everything else. And I think the way this ends with like Sinise walking off and looking up at the the, the flag. I mean, you would revisit our, our interview with McGarris. He says this is his favorite moment of the movie. And I don't think it's. Um, I don't think it's, you know, I keep harping on the, and joking around and, 
saying stupid shit like, oh, yeah, it's hyperbole to say this is the best part. But like he really does give it as all like in this first chapter and the scope of what you're actually going to be able to get from this series. It's easy now to sit here after watching 20 something years of 25 plus years of prestige television to say, oh, well, you know, we can take this for granted. But like if you look back at like 94 and just like think about the actual scope of this miniseries and just like where it takes you and um, and how real it all feels and just what you get from this first chapter alone, it's pretty unprecedented and it's pretty like it's pretty awe-inspiring and like even now to see like a-listers like the fact that gary sinise was in the best picture winner that year and he's the lead in this movie we could say all we want about forrest gump but like it was a fucking you know oscar sweep that year and the fact that he was and he's great in that and he's great in this and like the fact that he's leading this abc miniseries like it's like you have to appreciate that context when you look at this and I don't even even context aside, I still think it like it, it really earns your 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 trust here. Um, and again, like I said before, like I'm going to have some criticisms going on with the chapters coming forward. But like this initial chapter itself and just even the last 20 minutes of this is just so high tension television. And I think it crosses, you know, generations and I think it crosses um, the style of te- television that we anticipate now that like this is pretty great filmmaking um in 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 the medium that it's it that it's entered you know that it's working in um and and especially within king like you can read those chapters that are that are uh that are tied to this this first section of the stan miniseries and it's pretty like earnest and it's pretty like um it's pretty true to the spirit of a, a lot of the things and i don't know I'm, I've, I've, I've I digressed too much on this, but I, I think that there, I appreciate what we're, what we're seeing currently, like, like currently in this first chapter. And, um, and I think that this is probably the most praise you're going to get out of me <laughs> going forward, uh, for this. Uh, let me, let me finish this off with a simple question and you can only say, you can't explain yourself. Mm-hmm. You just have to say one or the other. Are your dreams for mother Abigail? Or are they for Randall Flag, Dan? Randall Flag. <laughs> I don't buy that at all, Mac. No, no, no. Because, all right, not because my, not because I'm. Uh, I. No, you can't explain yourself. All right. <laughs> Dan's a Randall, uh, a Randall Flaghead. Uh, Dan, you are uh, the purest of us. You are absolutely going to Mother Abigail. No, fuck you, I, Mother Abigail. Like pisses me off, and I, I think she's condescending. I don't like how she makes people. She forces people to believe in her. I don't like. Oh, I don't really like. I don't like that head. shit she says in, in episode two about where Nick Andrews goes. I don't believe in God, and she goes, "Oh, but he believes in you." If someone said that to me, I would whoa, kick whoa, them in whoa, the whoa, nuts. Whoa, whoa. You're, anyway, you're jumping the gun, son. <laughs> I love that. Right? The gun. I, lo- I love that. Caffrey had to like just totally break the rules here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, I'm sorry. Mac, Randall Flag. Uh oh, total total Abigail head. I don't buy here. that. You're going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Randall's dang. like the judge, jury, and executioner. Right that's now. right. That's right. Uh, my... Randall, Randall, would you say I'm a real wild card? <laughs> I'm a real wild card. Wild card. Wild card. Okay, Mike. Oh, I, I've got my jean jacket, and I'm ready to meet you at Caesar's Palace. Um, 
I am in Vegas. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm like been drinking this entire episode. I am like Randall Flagg's like fucking partner. Um, no, as for you me, guys, I've had a couple of beers, but they were beers cooled in the river with <laughs> you're painting with them and, and, uh, and Kojak. And as for me, uh, what can I say? I'm hopping on a hog and I'm riding to Hemingford home, baby. <laughs> uh, hey, I'll, I'll um, see you at the okay. buffet in Hot Vegas, shots. Caffrey. Um, <laughs> wait, what did you say? That? I'll see you at the buffet in Caff- in uh, Vegas, Caffrey. <laughs> That's that, hey, that's really what I'll, I think. I'll, I'll see you all in Vegas. I'll see you all in Vegas when you crucify me. <laughs> Look, man, you can you can blow me up. I just want to be sitting at the Bellagio buffet for breakfast by the time. Hey, uh, and you know what? And, Andy Garcia could walk out from Ocean's Eleven, and be like, uh, "I hope you are enjoying my <laughs> fine hotel." <laughs> Hey, if you guys crucify me and burn me on the flu buddy sign, at least be be eating some some White Castle <laughs> in Vegas. Okay, oh, Lord. Uh, I think we've we've uh, I think we we've, we've we've done quite a job with this this first part, and we're gonna be back next week um, with our first Patreon exclusive full length episode. And that's going to be part two of the stand. So if you enjoyed the first part of this, um, we may have the same losers on, we may have some new losers on, we're still figuring it out. So, uh, if you want to hear us continue to dissect the stand, all of the future three parts of the stand breakdown are going to be Patreon exclusives. But, uh, in two weeks with the next free episode, we're going to start talking about golden years, the mini series, uh, that Stephen King wrote, um, which is going to be fun. Fun. And then after that, we're going to be dump- jumping into Dolores Claiborne is going to be our next book episode. So get reading on that. Start streaming Golden Years. We'll figure out where it's streaming and try to direct that info to you. And um, subscribe to our Patreon if you like what you're hearing. And follow us on our socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, gentlemen, this was fun. Thank you so much. And let's bid adieu. Long days. And, and pleasant, pleasant, and pleasant nights. nights. All right. Bye, y'all. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you good. Consequence Podcast Network. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. 
Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories if you're brave enough. (laughs) 